0: You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Moe Gamer podcast for winter 2019, which is a lovely period of time for everyone in the world at the minute. Um... (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we're just going to do our best to uh, kind of enjoy ourselves today. I've got a lot of games I want to talk about, a lot of things that I've been enjoying a great deal, which is welcome distraction from all the other unpleasant stuff that's going on in the world right now. So, I'm sure, um, Chris, my regular podcasting partner in crime, Chris Kasky of MrGilders.com, you feel the same way, right?
1: Yeah, this is a tough time of year uh, for everybody. Mm. I think that that feeling is pretty... uh, pretty widespread across most people i talk to uh, there's a lot to celebrate but the winter makes things tough and yeah connecting with people and reflecting on the last 11 months of how you wasted the last 11 months so, <laughs> so let's just talk about games
0: Yeah, sounds good to me. So, um, it's been a while since we got together, so we've got a fair chunk of news to get through, first of all, so we'll do that first. Um, Then, our second segment, we've got some stuff to talk about, um, and I think this time around we've mostly got the same stuff to talk about, but they are both things that we are both very excited to talk about. Yeah, we've actually been playing uh, some of the same stuff for a change. Yeah, so that should be good. And then our main topic for today is going to be on the subject of uh, monster collecting RPGs and, and so on. Um, yeah, so we'll talk more about that when we get to it. So let's begin with the news. Um, oh, I, I put my news um, page in the right position before I started recording and then went and scrolled it away to completely the wrong place now. So bear with me a moment while I just find what our first story was. Um, okay, I think it was uh, Fuga Melodies of Steel, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Okay. Tell me about this, because I know you're excited about this.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Fuga, Memory, Melodies of Steel is the latest game in the Little Tail Bronx series, uh, which consists of Tail Concerto and Saladarobo. Um, so this is cyberconnect 2's kind of baby in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, Little Tail Bronx is like, Cybertonet 2 makes other games to fund working on Little Tail Bronx. Like, it's, it's yeah. like, it's like their heart. Um, so, uh, the big news was that, um, it's gonna be getting a physical release in all regions now. They've, That's conf- awesome. they've confirmed. That's awesome. Um, which is super exciting because we almost didn't get Salata Robo either back on the 3DS. So, um, this is now officially, I mean, they're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the series but it's kind of silly because it's only two games it's not like a massive yeah. it's like <laughs> not like a massive series but like the following for the series is tremendous and uh, very much going in the vein of one of the things we discussed in the previous episode which was uh, the concept of quote dark furry and yes. quote the the whole point of uh, Fuga Melodies of Steel is that you are the orphans surviving in a war and you have gotten your hands on like a magic tank and you just have this magic tank packed full of orphans and (laughs) and the only way to fire the tank's cannon is to sacrifice an orphan like you so, so you have to so you so you have to make like a choice when you're in like these difficult situations of like do i like fire the cannon and like get out of this situation with relative ease but also have to kill one of my friends that i'm trying to protect in the process and there's like yeah. you know the moral like is the is the greater good more important than the individual kind of choices um but everyone has cute little puppy dog faces
0: oh just to make you feel extra bad yeah wonderful yeah yeah, well, that sounds really cool. I think I mentioned in the previous episode that um, someone from the comment section on Digitizer's website just sent me a copy of um, Salata Robo for free the other week. So, was it because of uh, Dark Furry? Because they wanted you to experience the magic? Additional? Um, Dark no, furry? It, no, it was just because, just because he'd he'd. Um, He'd seen me commenting on digitizer and he'd followed the link through to my site and he uh, he thought, oh um, this looks like something you might be into uh, Also I don't know I don't know the context and I didn't ask but he said he had quote a surplus of copies of Salata Robo um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay okay. <laughs> so he said do you want one and i said yes please and i didn't ask any more questions so it came through a couple of days later so i've got a copy of that now which is good because it's quite hard to find over here
1: oh yeah i'm very excited for you to dig into it it's a really special Mm -hmm. game
0: yeah yeah so that's cool i mean it's it's a series i've been sort of passively aware of for quite a long time and I, i i've at various points i've had friends and acquaintances who have had very positive things to say about solata robo specifically um so yeah, I'm excited to delve into it at some point. So it's uh, it's it's now on my shelf along with a million other things vying for my <laughs> attention. So <laughs> uh, I could retire
1: tomorrow.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wish I would. I wish I could. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, Snack World the Dungeon Crawl, which is the uh, upcoming title from Level Five. Uh, see, I remembered this time um, Yay. is coming officially coming west uh, on February the fourteenth of twenty twenty so that's cool yeah and it's going to be known as snack world the dungeon crawl gold uh which i think i have a feeling we already knew but um yeah so that's officially what it's going to be called in the west but we've got a trailer out now um and yeah just confirmation that it's 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 coming over so yeah. that's cool
1: it was a nice little uh Nail in the coffin because I know I every every single time there was any kind of rumblings that this might happen I was bringing it up on here so so now we finally have a confirmation we finally have a date uh, and I'm gonna buy this because I love level five
0: yeah that's good all right uh, continuing on another. Uh, sort of upcoming uh, release confirmed. Um, The Switch and PlayStation 4 versions of Ikaruga are getting physical releases uh, from Nicalis. We don't know exactly when uh, that's going to happen yet, but it it is happening apparently. So, um, it's available digitally now and has been for a while, but uh, yeah, there are physical copies coming out for that. So, if you've ever wanted to own a copy of Ikaruga physically and didn't want to pay through the nose for the GameCube version, then well, here you go. Um... Yeah, continuing on, um, we've got a new Neptunia game on the way, which uh, was teased and subsequently revealed as... I have no idea how you pronounce this, but VVVTune, or Triple VTune, or I don't know. So it's um, it's basically a new Neptunia game uh, that looks at the idea of um, virtual idols and virtual YouTubers and that sort of thing. So in keeping with the rest of the Neptunia series to... Um, sort of parody things that are happening at the time that they get released uh so for example mega dimension neptunia was um sort of poking fun at uh the change over console generations neptunia you sort of uh, had a look at um sort of like the role of journalism and uh, gamergate and that sort of thing uh this is looking at the phenomenon of virtual idols and and youtubers um yeah and it looks uh, it looks cool so there's a few trailers and, and screenshots around the place. It's going to feature songs and dances with the with the idols. Um, yeah, don't know a huge amount about how it's going to play yet. Um, but it looks like we've got a mix of old and new characters in there. Um, yeah, looking forward to this. Time for a, a new Neptunia game. Although there's still several I haven't caught up on yet. <laughs> Do we know if
1: it's uh, RPG or if it's going to be like uh, something like Neptunia U where it's just like a different type of game featuring the neptunia stuff like do we have any kind of
0: i'm not sure offhand because uh, the the stuff i i noted down was uh was all from when it was first announced um it's being regarded as a, a spin-off game i think but um and people seem to be assuming that it's an action rpg but i'm not sure we've actually really got any confirmation about that as yet so that'd be cool um yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the action RPG side of, of stuff has been developing quite nicely. So, sort of over the course of Neptunia, U, uh, Blank and Neptune vs. Zombies, and Cyber Dimension Neptunia, they've really sort of started to get a, a good feel for what makes a good, um, a good um, action RPG. Oh, here we are. There's a few more details on uh, Twinfinite. So, the game is an action RPG with fields and dungeons in which the player can control the four goddesses and the virtual idols together. Uh, there are dance elements... Um, There's uh, melee weapons like swords, uh, and you can change the character you control in sort of mid-battle and stuff like that. Sounds Um, maybe like,
1: it might be like Four Goddesses Online.
0: Yeah, it it sounds that way, Um, with some sort of, um, sort of fleshing out the kind of the side mechanics. There's, um, it sounds like there's sort of a a parody of the Japanese video sharing site Nico Nico Dugo in there as well, uh, where the the virtual idols and virtual YouTubers can post their videos and interact with the fans, and each video you post lets you get items and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a cool idea. Um, so, details of that are sort of slowly creeping out a bit at a time, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, continuing on. Uh, yeah, we, we were just talking about this before we started recording today. Romancing Saga 3's physical version for... Uh, st- nearly said steam then switch is coming to asia in 2020 so um have PlayAsia got this up for pre-order now i think they have oh yeah they? yeah very much yeah. so
1: so this is just a great yeah. opportunity to be able to play this in english uh-huh. and own it you know obviously you can download it now it's readily available yeah. but if you yeah. would like to own it physically with the english language asia's got you covered again uh this is a pretty momentous game um you know this Romancing Saga three was very uh, during the the Super Famicom era, very influential. Mm-hmm. So, if you're if you're a type of person like me who doesn't just collect games for to play them, but also likes to own games that have specific like there's specific milestones in terms of like genre, yeah. genre development and history. Um, yeah, the the Super Famicom Romancing Saga games
0: are particularly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely saga seems to be sort of developing quite a presence at the minute because we've we've got this and there was um what's that new one that just released uh, scarlet frontier yeah just boy, came out as well boy do i need um, to see
1: the exact same news we're talking about for three with that. <laughs> like <laughs> god that game is
0: beautiful yes it is yes it is i've uh, i've seen a few people playing it and being quite excited about it and uh, also baffled by uh, the obligatory <laughs> completely obtuse saga systems yes but, uh, yeah it is tradition for the series at this i love
1: point. it i love it so much
0: yeah so yeah i'd like to grab that so we'll uh i'm sure i'll have something to say about that at some point saga series in general is not one i know very well my only real experience with it is um final fantasy legend 2 on game boy okay yeah. and i played a bit of saga frontier 2 on ps1 when it first came out Mm -hmm. but it was one of those games that um at the time i played it i don't think i was really sort of old enough to appreciate it and i was still quite early in uh understanding how rpgs work so i I kind of bounced off it a bit then same but it's 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 one that i want to return to just like just like unlimited saga i know we've talked about a few times as well that's (laughs) another one that i'm gonna try And make some time to actually cover that in detail this year because I I keep looking at it on my shelf and keep thinking I really want to play that and I really want to write about it and I just haven't yet. Well, so I'm going to make time to do that this, uh, this coming year.
1: Since we started doing this podcast, one of our like running things in our side discussions and planning have always been that like understanding that one day we will do a saga episode that we will both like mm-hmm. dig into saga together. Because my mm-hmm. experiences are exactly the same as yours. Um, I, yeah. re- I respect it. I understand its importance in terms of the history of the genre. But like when Saga Frontier One and Two were like. In their prime on the PS1, I didn't understand what I was experiencing at all. Yeah. And the only real frame of reference I had for RPGs was RPGs of relatively simplistic mechanics, stuff like Breath of Fire and Final Fantasy. So I wasn't prepared for, in any way, for what Saga tries to level at you. Um, (laughs) So, like, over the past couple years, I've been slowly amassing Saga games. I have the remake of the first Romancing Saga uh, for the PS2. Oh, cool. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I grabbed a really nice copy of Unlimited um, last time I was at the Too Many Games convention in, in 2019. In the summer I grabbed a really beautiful copy of uh, Frontier Two. So I'm just mm-hmm. looking. I'm looking for a decent copy of Frontier One now to kind of fill that out. But like, I'm making owning every Saga game that's had an English translation officially. Yeah. Part part of my collecting goals right now.
0: Oh, that's, that's a good plan. Yeah, Saga Frontier 1 never came out over here because that was released um, sort of in that era where um, Squaresoft, as they were then, didn't bring half of their stuff over to Europe for some reason. So we missed out on that one. But Saga Frontier 2 came out when they sort of realized, hang on, we've got a market in Europe as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got the means of playing an American copy of, of the first one. It's just a case of uh, tracking it down, I guess. Or, sure. or taking a slightly uh, grayer mora- morality route. But, you know, <laughs> we're not too opposed to that here. Anyway. Uh, not if it's out of print. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, continuing on, um, we've got some Darius news. So there is um, the Darius Cosmic Collection Uh, is in development for PS4 already out on Switch and the Switch version is getting some stuff added to it um, which is uh, Darius Plus and uh, Supernova and Sagaya uh, which is cool. So uh, the PlayStation 4 version is looking like it's going to be digital only um, and we'll have trophy support uh, whereas the Switch version has had, that had a physical release, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Was that a really weird physical release, where there were like two two releases and none of them had all of it in it?
1: Yeah, there's, so there's two different versions of the Darius collection. One which is focused on the home releases of Darius games, and one which is focused mm-hmm. on the arcade releases of Darius right, games. Right, gotcha. So, why it's not just one collection is beyond me. It's part of the reason I don't own it, because I kind of found the release model very exploitative. Yeah, um, but I did want to mention this just just because it's Darius and we like our shmups. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So watch out for that. Um, at the same event, I think M2 announced that they're going to bring uh, quote nearly all of Toeplan's games to modern home consoles. Yeah, um, you know more about Toeplan than me. So what 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 stuff w- would people know from Toeplan?
1: I think the big thing about toplan is um, Truxton. Which oh, is, yes, of course. Uh, it, people are very fond of Truxton. Um, but it's, once again, I'll, I'll use the word history like a hundred times this morning, which is like from a historical mm-hmm. perspective, Toplon's really important because Toplan is kind of the cooker from which um, rising and aiding emerged. Yeah. And, yeah. and like... Don't even get me started on 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 rising and aiding's games. Um, <laughs> they're simply the best. So yeah. it, this is just a really cool exploration. Uh, Snow Brothers is a game I think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, Twin Cobra. There's, so there's like there's a couple of classic Toplan games that a lot of people are familiar with.
0: Yeah. That's cool, and they've said it's not just going to be the shooter maps they're releasing as well. So they're they're going to try and release uh, all of them except the more sort of uh, risque ones. So uh, my young sisters and Edmund Dio are two that they said they're not going to do, um, but they are going to bring stuff like uh, Wardner and Guardian and Slayer Brothers, as you say, as well as as well as all the shooter maps and stuff. So that's cool. Um, always good to see stuff getting resurrected for modern systems. Um, speaking of which, slightly more uh, recent history, I guess, but still cool. Uh, Bayonetta and Vanquish are getting a 10th anniversary bundle um, mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. very soon. Yeah, um, yes. So what platforms has this been confirmed for? Because it was initially only announced it's, it's for everything, is it? Yeah, because yeah, it was initially PS4 only announced for, sure. for Xbox, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, so yeah. That, after the initial announcement, it was then confirmed for everything and most importantly, it was confirmed for everything with a physical release with a beautiful steel case. Excellent. So... Yeah, that's Come to Papa! I can't wait to play Vanquish in 4K, <laughs> in like full, like locked frame rate. Like f- I-, I often describe Vanquish to people as the third-person shooter from which, after you have played it, you will never want to play another third-person shooter. <laughs> <laughs> it just shits on the entire genre and makes everything else
0: like not fun. <laughs> like a- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very good. It's it's definitely very cool, and I think I think a few other sort of um, Japanese attempts at third person shooters have taken some inspiration for it at various times. Like I know, definitely, um, there's elements. Uh, Bullet Girls Fantasia is a much slower paced game than Vanquish was, but it's it's got certain elements of like the movement in Vanquish are uh, oh, incorporated in sure. there, like like the sort of leaping around and sliding while shooting and locking onto enemies and stuff. That's mm-hmm. in Bullet Girls Fantasia, and that's really satisfying there. So. That's cool. Yeah, so um, Vanquish, a game I played uh, back in the day, but never actually got around to finishing it. So it'll be good to sort of revisit that. And I absolutely loved Bayonetta, though. So yeah, yeah, an- yeah. A- another another opportunity to play and enjoy that. Very welcome indeed.
1: It's like, I don't even feel like Bayonetta's worth talking about. <laughs> like, it's, like a, it's like evidence of it. Like Bayonetta at this point is like a, a religious text. So, yeah. <laughs> like i don't need to, i don't need to sing the praises of bayonetta or convince bayonetta
0: bayonetta is the game that made me understand that type of game because sort of previously i i tried the first devil may cry and i didn't really get on with it when i first tried but i'd heard so many good things about the original 360 version of bayonetta when it came out i thought oh, i'll give it a try and i i got it it just clicked just, just the mechanics and the controls and everything just absolutely clicked with me, and I, I, yeah, I understand that game now, that type of game now, and it's yeah, pretty much entirely thanks to Bayonetta.
1: Uh, life is good. Life is good with three D character action games.
0: Yes, yes, indeed.
1: Uh, part of me wants to bemoan the fact that it's not a more prolific genre, but. The other part of me just loves the fact that like, when they do come out, they're just such yeah. Solid, I was going to
0: say, what what we do get is really good, so that's great.
1: I'm still waiting for them to finish with all the DLC for Devil May Cry 5 and announce a complete version for me, because yeah. I really yeah. want to get my hands on that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Alright, um, next up, we have uh, some unusual retro gaming news. So, um a Japanese retro PC and video game store called Beep. Um, they stepped into video game publishing earlier this year with an announcement of Cotton Reboot. Um, they've recently announced that they are bringing a um, fantasy-themed up called Undeadline to MSX2. Um, that's not a port to modern consoles. They're bringing the MSX2 version back. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, so, so they are doing uh, a limited-run physical copy reproduction uh, of this game so anyone who has an msx2 or the <laughs> facility to play msx2 games they can play it on their original hardware this is so cool this is so cool um yeah it's i mean this this there's, there's so many old games that are so hard to get hold of now um and so the idea of having reprints like this like i mean i guess it's i guess it's essentially a sort of similar idea to sort of old books getting a reprint isn't it yeah um yeah that's that's really cool i mean I, um I don't know a lot about Undeadline, but yeah, it's 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 cool to see just this even happening at all. So
1: Undeadline's cool. So I've played the um I've played the Japanese Mega Drive version of Undeadline. Okay, yeah. Um, so I did get some ports. Yeah, it's, it's basically like it's a it's a member of a subgenre of shmups that I really appreciate, which is the subgenre where you're a dude walking,
0: yeah, instead yeah.
1: of a ship like Mm -hmm. and it's it's horror themed so like there's like just like mon it's like monsters and the backgrounds are like spooky um
0: oh that's cool i I like
1: it a lot it's part of the reason i wanted to post this because i just think it's a neat game worth talking about and if if it gets people to look it up on um on youtube and check it out and, and be more aware of it it's just a really neat game
0: yeah cool Alright, continuing on, we've had confirmation that the video game adaptation of Is It Wrong to Try to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon Infinite Combat is coming west in 2020 for PS4, Switch and PC. Um, So this is one that we weren't sure if it was going to come over here or not uh, for a while, but it's it's a really popular anime over here, so I'm not surprised to see this. Um, So... um, as far as I can make out, this is a sort of top-down, vaguely sort of, I don't know if it actually is a roguelike, but it's 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 sort of presented like a mystery dungeon game uh, with sort of chibi characters and uh, polygonal but tile-based uh, maps that you explore, and then sort of interactions between all the characters, so you can chat up Hestia and admire her formidable bust lane and that sort of thing. I wasn't and, really uh,
1: interested in this game, and then I watched the footage... And you know what it reminds me of? Here.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. So then I yeah, got excited. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so like I say, this it, it's it's cool to see um, see this because there's a lot of anime adaptation games that don't make it over here for various reasons. Um, but is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon or Dunmachi as most people call it because the English name is stupid. Um, yeah, that's been a really popular series over here so yeah, having having a, a video game adaptation to be able to enjoy is uh, very welcome. Very welcome indeed.
1: So help me, this better be a gateway to me getting the Konosuba game. <laughs> I need it yeah. in my life.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've, I've read a few bits and pieces about that and it it just sounds like they've, they've deliberately made it quite frustrating to play <laughs> um just <Which is>
1: proper <laughs> That's how it's yeah funny.
0: exactly so so like so like megamin in the game she literally does only have one spell and it does use all her magic points and that sort of thing and <laughs> it just that sounds like they've done it properly so it sounds like it might be a nightmare to play but entirely appropriate for an adaptation of konosuba oh i want to so, yeah i love konosuba so much yeah Okay, uh, moving on, uh, we've finally had uh, some updates on the NES and Super NES um, apps for Nintendo Switch. So it's been quite a while since we had anything new on here, but we've had um, uh, Nintendo announced a while back that they were going to go to an irregular update schedule, which uh, some people... um, not unreasonably, to, to assume that they were just just weren't going to bother anymore. But uh, yeah, so in the last week, we've had uh, a few additions to both of them. So the NES version has had Crystallis and Journey to Silius, and the SNES app has now got Breath of Fire 2, Kirby Superstar, Star Fox 2, and Super Punch-Out!!. Uh, so basically, there's now not really a reason to own a SNES Classic if you have a Nintendo... Uh, Switch Online subscription because Star Fox 2 is there.
1: Precisely. <laughs> I'm very, very excited to finally give Star Fox 2 a try. But also, this is just tremendous because Kirby Superstar and Breath of Fire 2 are like two of the best games on the Super Nintendo, like, period. Like, if you yeah. asked me to like make like, a list of like top 10 SNES <sighs> games, like, Kirby Superstar would be on there easily. Mm-hmm. And Breath of Fire 2 is inching on Chrono Trigger in terms of like best quality RPG on the system and yeah. I'm not just saying it because there's a cute cat girl it's <laughs> genuinely an amazing game
0: uh huh yeah and the the NES games are cool as well Journey to Silius is quite a fun sort of um, I guess you call it a Mega Man like in some ways Yeah, that's the one that was originally supposed to be a Terminator game wasn't it if I remember correctly oh I don't I know
1: I don't know the story of that one
0: yeah, I I watched a playthrough of it a little while back on I think it was Game Grumps and they were talking a bit about the history of it and yeah I think it was originally intended to be a Terminator game, so you can you can, you can sort of see little hints of that here and there in things like the enemy and the background design and so on, but they had to sort of reskin it to be original. Um, and then Crystalis is also on the SNK 40th anniversary collection as well. But for those who don't own that, you can now play it on the NES app as well. So that's cool. That's a great. That's also uh, and, a fantastic game. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And yeah, Star Fox 2 is uh, a lot of fun. So it's it's one of those games that's sort of really kind of pushing the SNES a little bit further than it should really go. Um, But in terms of game design and structure and stuff, it's really interesting to consider when this was originally designed um, and compare it to modern games, because it's basically um, taking ideas from sort of modern what we think of as modern procedurally generated games. um, And applying them to something that was developed back in the Super NES era. So, yeah, it's a fascinating game, that one. well worth playing. Okay. Uh, Moving on. Uh, Mikage is working on an original project for PS5, PS4, Switch, PC, and it's specifically geared towards overseas fans. And they're working with Axis games on that. Um, Not... A lot of details about this at the minute. Um,
1: I just wanted to point it out because this is essentially the progeny of Image Epoch.
0: Oh yes, of course. So this is
1: this is the the the, Mikage is the Image Epoch guy. Um, so hopefully whatever they make has a little bit of that old DNA in it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it looks like it looks like they're working on a VR version as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of whatever this is. Um, and back in September there was a teaser that they're working on a original strategy RPG as well so I'm not sure if this is the same thing or if this is something completely different but uh, yeah this isn't set to release until 2021 so we're probably not going to hear much more about this in the immediate future but it, it has been revealed that they're working on it. so that's nice um continuing on kingdom hearts 3 has had some dlc announced and for those who have been uh, sort of bemoaning the lack of final fantasy characters in kingdom hearts 3 well here they all are <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah so the original kingdom hearts 3 uh, only had sort of statues of Oron and cloud in there so the dlc has Aerith, squall and yuffy uh in there so um there's a, a picture of Sid as well so presumably he plays a role at some point as well so yeah neat so this this is looking like it's going to be a fairly substantial uh, DLC pack so haven't played Kingdom Hearts 3 yet but um, the the people I, I talk to who have played Kingdom Hearts 3 and you know, are sort of up to date on the series and so on they're very excited about this because it's looking like a, a really cool continuation of the series
1: That's exciting. Can't wait for a yeah. uh, complete edition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, carrying it on. Uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3 has been announced for Switch. Uh, so that's just come out for PS4. Um, and... Uh, over here rather it's been out in japan for a while but they've they've announced it for switch Uh, japan is going to get this on march the 19th of 2020 and um nisa have already announced that they're working on a western port of it as well you can pre-order that now so um what people are hoping for in the long term of this is having all of trails on one platform that would be amazing whether or not that will happen i don't know but Uh, given the number of um sort of vita ports we've had to switch previously it's not unreasonable to think that sometime we might see um trails in the sky ported and if trails of cold steel 3 does well on switch i mean there's no reason why they can't port the first two as well so it'd be it'd be wonderful to have this whole series on one platform at the moment it's scattered across several different ones with several of the games that still haven't been localized as well so if we can get the whole thing in one place, that would be amazing. I've already
1: I've already dedicated myself to collecting Cold Steel on the PS4, because I have 1, yeah. 2, and 3 now. But, yeah. I don't know. Just throwing this out there, video game gods. Trails in the Sky, triple pack. Yes! <laughs> one, yes please. one cart. All three Trails in the Sky games.
2: Please. Yeah.
1: Please. And thank you. You can charge me $100 for it, just like koei tecmo is for that (laughs) atelier collection like i don't i don't care just give me all three on a cart that i can play on my television
0: (laughs) all right uh moving on just a a smaller scale bit of news here um i just thought this looked quite interesting this is a, a little indie game has released called super mesh um, which basically allows you to, uh, mash together two game genres and then it will sort of generate a game for you based on that. So you sort of, uh, say, right, I want, um, stealth and platformer mashed together and it'll, it'll generate a, a stealth platformer for you. Huh. Um, yeah, this this I don't know if this is any good or not, but it's just released recently and it caught my attention, so uh, yeah, you might want to check it out. Uh, it's available now for PC via the Epic Game Store, boo hiss, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's coming to PlayStation 4, or Xbox One, and Switch in 2020. So uh, yeah, watch out for that. There's a trailer up for that now, so have a look at that. Um, moving on, uh, Babylon's Fall, which is the new title from Square Enix and Platinum Games. Um, we had some more. Gameplay revealed for that in Sony's State of Play event, which they held recently. Um, and yeah, this is looking very nice, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, how did,
1: I, how did I describe it to you? Dark Souls, but fun. <laughs> like it just—it like, just looks like they're kind of taking a page from like From Software's like lived-in, decrepit medieval world kind of aesthetic, but making mm. a platinum game in that setting. So. I- okay yeah okay (laughs) like (laughs) because like i love dark souls and i but i love dark souls environments but sometimes i just want to rip my way through dark souls (laughs) so this is like power fantasy in a dark souls looking setting so okay um
0: i I want this game now please (laughs) yeah yeah I'm, i'm definitely all for that Alright, uh, moving on Resident Evil 3 is getting a remake to no one's surprise uh, after how well Resident Evil 2 remake did, so that is coming in April of 2020 and it's including the online mode Resident Evil Resistance as well so um, yeah, this is looking very nice um, Resident Evil 2 remake I I didn't play that but uh, people said it was very true to the original, so this is sort of um, Capcom continuing on their redemption arc basically, isn't it? It's a good arc
1: <laughs> Stay
0: on it, folks. Yeah, definitely. Um, Moving on, um, we had an announcement that um, a game called Sisters Royale is going to be released worldwide on January the 30th of 2020 for Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4. Um, This is a spiritual successor to Castle of Shikigami. Um, So... Yeah, and it's it's a uh, vertically scrolling shoot 'em up with five different characters with their own special abilities. Um, a sort of proximity based scoring system, so you have to get close to enemies to score more points to them. So sort of encouraging risky play and so on. And uh, yeah, this just looks, looks like uh, looks like a lot of fun. So yeah, I love
1: uh, Castle of Shikigami.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so pre-orders are opening for this uh, sort of this coming week at the time of recording, I think. Uh, if you want to pre-order it. And um the original Castle of Shikigami you can get for PC on Steam as well if you wanna revisit that.
1: Oh that's exciting. That's a great series.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was on was that on PS two as well, I wanna say? Is that right?
1: Yeah, Castle of Shikigami two was on PS two.
0: Mm. Um Yeah.
1: Castle of Shikigami three was available on the Wii with a legendarily bad translation. <laughs> uh, but the, but it's a shmup, so whatever. it's still played incredible. Yeah. But like Castle Shikigami yeah. as a series is great because it's one of the. It's like talking about subgenres again. It's it's a subgenre of vertical shmups where like you're a person instead of a ship, kind of like that aesthetic. Yeah. You're like flying, and yeah. uh, they're one of the hallmarks of the series, at least for me, has always just been like a very large selection of characters, very varied shot patterns that totally, like, each character fundamentally changes the way you approach Mm -hmm. and play the game. So there's just a lot of room for, like, experimentation there. So hopefully the Sisters Royale kind of continues that tradition because I do have very fond memories of that system. I mean, that that series.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting this. I think... um I think I got a press release for this the other day. And requested a review code, so I should hopefully have a chance to to play that. Um, oh, that'd be great when they when they when they get review copies out for that. So that's cool. Uh, continuing on, this, um, 2K has announced that uh, they have a new studio called Cloud Chamber with offices in San Francisco, California, and Montreal, and they're making a new Bioshock game. Bioshock's not a series I love, but um, the, people had sort of. Started to assume that it was it was over and done with. So this is this is sort of significant that they're bringing it back. Uh, not a lot known about it other than the fact it will be a first person shooter still. Um, and there's some some decent talent behind it in this Cloud Chamber Studio from the side of things. So yeah, I just posted uh,
1: this as a shout out to my buddy Matt because three weeks ago we were getting drinks together and he loves BioShock and he oh, okay. and, and he was bemoaning. How you know it's been how long it's been since infinite. And I was yeah. just and I was just like, face it, dude, you're never gonna get another Bioshock. And then, <laughs> and,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You should play System Shock, right? though. The, I've seen some screenshots and footage of the remake of that. Oh, yeah? Uh, and that's look, that's looking fantastic. So, yeah. Be sure to play that if you've never played System Shock before and you can't stomach the atrocious controls of the original PC version. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, okay, continuing on, um, I Am 8-Bit is doing a physical PlayStation 4 release of um, Wattom, which is um, Keita Takahashi's new uh, weird game.
1: <laughs> yeah oh so weird
0: yeah yeah so this is looking bizarre this is one about giving presents to people isn't it is that, is that it, right
1: it really i've watched some f- gameplay footage of it and it really just appears to be like a continuation of like the philosophy of nobby nobby boy
0: yeah it's just, just yeah. like
1: creating a playground for you to do dumb shit mm-hmm. in but it, yeah. I, I, it looks like the focus of the game is like building stacks Like, getting characters to, like, all stand on each other's heads and, like, build really high, like, stacks of friends. And then you, like, give a present at the top of the stack, but the present is a bomb that blows the entire stack up. (laughs) So, so like, you have to... It's, like, all the joy of, like, when you're a kid, like, building a block tower and then knocking it over. I guess you're just, like, building these, like, precarious, like, totem poles and then just destroying them. (laughs) So... Yeah, we'll see. All I know is they should, like... It's, like, classic, bizarre, like, Keira Takahashi, like, humor. But, like, the the disc just has a picture of, like, the mayor of the town just, like, crying. And it just, it's just like, there's just, like, a speech bubble that says, like, why am I alone? <laughs> Probably because you encourage people to stand on each other's heads and then detonate explosives on top of them. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see where this goes. Yeah. All I know I is I ordered my copy. I chose the Apple cover. There's three cover variations and you can choose which one you get
0: yeah so there's um yeah so there's there's the apple like you say there's uh there's a piece of sushi uh, which is beautifully photographed i must say yeah um and there's a uh quote sun which appears to be a fried egg (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh yeah that's up that's available for pre-order on uh am 8 bitcom now so you can choose one of those um one of those cover variants. Uh, it comes with an instruction manual as well, which is worth noting. I've actually bought quite a few games that had instruction manuals recently. I've been very pleasantly surprised by that. Well, a lot of these um, limited
1: press houses are pretty obsessed with providing yeah. like, an old school experience with instruction manual.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the instruction manual for this is apparently written and illustrated by Keita Takahashi himself. So um, yeah, that should be suitably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> very
1: excited to enjoy what madness lies within
0: yeah all right uh moving on in the last couple of days we had uh, some announcement that um a game called hero must die again is um being re-released and getting an english version so this was previously a playstation vita remake uh of a mobile phone rpg um it's by Nipponichi. And Dedica Games has recently announced that it's going to have a PC release via Steam with English subtitles in spring of 2020. So the concept behind this is that you you take on the role of a hero who sort of sacrificed himself to defeat an evil demon lord. Um, But before he dies, an angel gives him five days to sort his shit out, basically. Um, And it turns out that sort of just defeating the demon lord hasn't sort of fixed the world, as it were. So in his five days... He's got a whole bunch of stuff that you can do and try and sort out along the way um and then there's apparently sort of 50 different endings to achieve depending on what actions you choose to take and so on so yeah there's um a lot of people who've sort of been following uh vita import games so um a shout out to a a blogger that i follow who does some really good vita coverage kresnik 58 um, he's um, previously written about the import version of this and been begging for a localization for ages so the fact this is finally coming west is is really cool. Um, yeah, I yeah, never heard really, about this really, one. Really, really, really fascinating concept so I'm uh, looking forward to giving this a try. Uh, okay. What else have we got? Uh, oh! Um, yeah, Bravely Default 2. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> Bravely Default 2, the third game in the Bravely series. Because Japan. <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: technically the fourth, if you want to count four heroes of light.
0: Oh yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah. But anyway, this is heading to Nintendo Switch. This was announced at the Game Awards 2019, um, and it's got uh, it's got music by the guy who did the uh, who did the soundtrack for the original Bravely yes. Default as well, which people are very happy about. So it will be lovely to have. Um, a soundtrack by Revo that isn't butchered by the 3DS's atrocious sound output, so <laughs> we will actually be, actually be able to put it through a lovely big sound system, listen to it on headphones without having to turn the volume up full and still strain my ears to hear it wonderful <laughs> I've, I've,
1: I've watched this nothing trailer like 10 times in the past 24 <laughs> hours just solid goosebumps every time the music and yeah. the art and just, uh I won't I won't go off on a Bravely Default tangent, but I really do believe it's one of the best RPGs in the past decade. Possibly oh yeah, possibly the best. Like I, I in terms of maturity and narrative and mechanics and the synergy of mechanics with narrative, I consider the original Bravely Default like top tier RPG, like on the same level as Final Fantasy twelve.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and for all the people who have been bemoaning the the fact that modern RPGs are not like old Final Fantasy, these are old Final Fantasy games. So, you know, if you haven't played these and you've been complaining about that, then sort that out. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, even conceptually, this is classic Final Fantasy. So, uh, the teaser website confirms that there will be a new band of heroes known as the Heroes of Light who will travel the world looking for the Four Crystals, which is, you know, the, the plot for the first... Five final fantasy games at the very least <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I, and bravely default in indeed uh and but the, the the wonderful thing about bravely default and indeed the later final fantasy games is all the stuff that they weaved around that basic concept and how exactly. they made each game unique around that basic structure so Excellent stuff. So, looking forward to that. Did you play um, Bravely
1: Second? I didn't play Bravely Second, which I feel like is no, a bad Bravely I fan. But I never heard anything good about it, so I never really, I never really felt like I missed anything.
0: I don't think it was bad as such, but I think some people were a bit pissed off that Revo didn't do the soundtrack.
1: That's fair. I too was sad when I originally heard that. I just like I just remember people like saying that it felt more like a spinoff or an also ran than like it it, it didn't yeah. it didn't have like the brilliance of the original Bravely Default, neither <laughs> mechanically nor narratively.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But this is all just like this is what I've heard. Like I don't know. Yeah. I have never taken the time to play it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for is a, a Switch re-release of the first two. That would be lovely. Oh,
1: God. Yeah, I would... Yeah. Part of the reason I never played the second one was just I'm tired of being tethered to handhelds. Um, yeah. I don't play yeah. handhelds very often anymore, so I just never got around to it. But yeah, oh, God. Yeah. If I could play either the first two on the on my television, yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. All right. All I- right. Okay, moving on. Um we have had an announcement that uh there's a, a new Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance game uh coming out. Now, this was announced with possibly the worst trailer I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if you've watched this trailer. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what but makes it it's What makes it
1: so is it as bad as one of those like terrible Japanese trailers where it's literally just text flashing across the screen for 3 minutes?
0: No, it's just the design of the trailer. Like what they've done is they've. Um, what the hell I is the- this? Are, are you watching it now? I am. Yeah. No. What What they've done is they've you know like those really annoying smug GoPro videos that people do of like their extreme sports and that sort of thing. What they've done is they've done that, but for Dungeons and Dragons, and it's just awful. What is this it's like? Background so core music. Like, what are they fucking doing? <laughs> Yeah, this it's, makes it's like,
1: me it, not want to play a medieval fantasy game for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it, 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 oh, excuse me, it's it's making me have plague. Um, no, it's uh, no, it's a, it's a terrible trailer. But the the reason I bring this up is the Dark Alliance games are fantastic console action RPGs. They are, um, and as long as this trailer isn't indicative of what we can expect <laughs> from the game, um, we should be in for a good time. So basically, if you're not familiar, the the two previous Dark Alliance games, or Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, as they were previously known, um, they were um, sort of Diablo-style action RPG before Diablo on console really became a thing. We'd had the we'd had a PS one a version of the original Diablo before, but Dark Alliance for PS two and Xbox. So these were the games that really sort of nailed um, the feel of a console action RPG. Yeah. They're really good. They're really satisfying, weighty combat. They had um, sort of nice integration of sort of they had they had some light platforming mechanics, but they weren't sort of over the top or anything like that. Three different character classes, simultaneous local co-op, and um they rather sensibly made it not too long as well it was only about 10 hours long as well so if you wanted to play it through with a friend that was a perfectly plausible thing that you could do over the course of a couple of sessions i actually played both of the dark alliance games in local multiplayer with a friend when they first came out it was just such a great experience so as long as they sort of nail the feel of those old games um i'm on board with this despite that trailer (laughs) um But uh, yeah, so this this is, again, it sounds like it's been designed for co-op play either locally or online, which is good to hear, um, but no real sort of gameplay footage as yet, so we'll have to wait and see uh, exactly how they're going to implement this. All right, continuing on, um, some news that sort of appeared today at the time of recording. Um, Dispatch Games has announced that they are releasing Japanese Rail Sim Journey to Kyoto for Nintendo Switch. That's awesome. Which I... Which I'm actually kind of excited about, <laughs> because this this just looks like a wonderfully chilled out game. Um, it's a game where you drive a train up and down um, a couple of different rail lines, and it's all done with um, it's all done with live action video rather than rendered graphics. Oh. So so it's it's all sort of like real life scenery at different times of day and going in different directions up the up the track. And it just looks like a, a wonderful sort of game to sit back and relax with and sort of see some nice scenery and that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, that's available for pre-order from Dispatch Games now, um, and that's expected to come out in April of 2020. Right, so, this
1: announcement yeah. is great. Do you love Densha? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I really like Dispatch. They do some really neat stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I still bring my copy of Penguin Wards to me to parties where I know there will be a Switch, like, all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can actually still get that through them. I, th- I thought that had been sold out everywhere, but yeah, they've actually still got some copies of that available. So, Might have to grab that because I-, I meant to pick that up when it first came out and never got around to it for one reason or another, but it's uh, it's still available through Dispatch Games for twenty four ninety nine in at the minute, so huh. you can get that for a decent price if you haven't already. Alright, uh, last bit of news I just wanted to mention today is that uh, Bullet Girls Fantasia, which I mentioned earlier and which I've recently done some in-depth coverage of on Moe Gamer, that is coming to Steam in early 2020. Um, so the Steam page for that is already up, so you can add it to your wishlist and stuff now. Uh, you can read my coverage of it on MoeaGamer.net if you want to find out a bit more. Um, this, is, this was a really fun game. It combines uh, a third-person shooter with some light RPG progression Uh, with some of the filthiest non-pornographic scenes you'll ever see so (laughs) it's fantastic absolutely fantastic um yeah so so this is a fun game and i'm really happy to see it getting a broader release because previously the the ps4 version only got an asia english release so it's had a fairly limited audience up until now so with it coming to steam A lot more people will have the opportunity to to spend some time with it and enjoy it. So, it it is a genuinely good game. I mean, it it is super sexy as well, but it is also a genuinely good game. So, um, watch out for that. All right, I think we're done. Unless you've got anything else you want to mention? No, I think that's it. At
1: first, I thought I was scraping, but that was as usual a lot of cool news. So.
0: I was going to say, I just looked up and it's like 50 minutes of news. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think we're all caught up on all the stuff that's caught our attention for now, though. So let's take a short break and we'll come back and we'll probably talk for an hour about what we've been playing recently. So, see you in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back for our second segment. We're going to be talking about what we've been playing recently. Now, I know there's two games that we've both been playing recently, but before we jump into those, has there been anything else you want to bring up first?
1: Not with any amount of serious dedication. No. (laughs) No, I mean, I've been been dabbling with some stuff, but not to the extent to which I've played the other two games we're going to be talking about.
0: Okay, then. All right. Um, Where do you want to begin, then? Let's talk about Horizon Chase. All right, let's talk about Horizon Chase. So... Horizon Chase Turbo. Um, this has been this has been out for a while now. At this point, um, but uh, they released a, a packaged package version a while back. Um, so I picked this up recently, and I think you picked it up quite recently as well, didn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've both been playing this, and oh yes, please <laughs> yes, it's please. It's everything. It's <laughs> everything. <laughs> so Horizon Chase Turbo. If you're not familiar, this um, this is a game by a Brazilian developer paying specific homage to um a super nes game called top gear that was developed by uh, i think we talked about this in the um vanishing point races uh yeah episode. but yeah so this was developed by gremlin graphics here in the uk and published by chemco uh and it subsequently became massive in brazil for some reason like Bra- brazilian gamers absolutely fucking love top gear um, and the developers of Horizon Chase Turbo loved Top Gear to such an extent that they, one, made, uh, effectively, a sequel, and two, uh, brought on board the original composer to score it. Yes, this um, is integral. This is yes. super
1: important because the music in Top Gear is amazing.
0: Yes, yes. So so, so the music in the original Top Gear was excellent. Um, Top Gear was, was sort of a... Almost an unlicensed, um, unofficial port of the Lotus Turbo Challenge series from Amiga and Atari ST, which is where all this started. Um, and the uh, the composer Barry Leach he um, ported over a lot of the music to the the Super NES sound chip as well. So it's a lot of the same tunes from the original Lotus games are in Top Gear, but sort of fully orchestrated and nicely arranged, and that sort of thing. And what he's done with the Horizon Chase Turbo soundtrack is he's, again, he's sort of paid homage to Top Gear. So there are several tracks in Horizon Chase Turbo that adapt um, various tunes and chord sequences and so on from the original Top Gear music, often quite subtly in some cases. There is one track that is specifically a straight port of the Super NES soundtrack, and I practically shat my pants when it first came on because I was like, <laughs> ah! He put that tune in! But there's other ones that you'll you'll just be playing, and then you'll just hear a little riff in the background, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that one as well." So he's done a wonderful job on the soundtrack of paying homage to this to this old game, um, and yeah, the, the the whole thing feels just like the old Top Gear. So Top Gear was a a vanishing point racer. Um, so we've previously defined that as sort of distinguished from 3D races in that rather than actually sort of turning around corners you just you're just sliding from side to side on the road basically and what a corner does is it forces you towards the outside of the road so you have to steer around the corner to make sure you don't come off the road so it's quite a different sort of feel to a um uh, what we now know as a more conventional 3d racer what what sort of your average racing game is these days So it's a very different feel but it allows the experience to be much faster it allows it to be uh sort of very focused on sort of uh intricate dodging of obstacles and that sort of thing um and yeah so the the feel of this game has really nailed that sort of thing it's got the high speed of top gear uh, but running at uh, sort of a much higher resolution and uh higher frame rates Um, lots of things to avoid a hugely varied um, array of courses here there's something like 108 courses in the game plus a a bunch that they've added through dlc as well um they take place all across the world they have different weather conditions different background scenery different music and uh yeah it's great so Tell me about your reactions to this thing, Chris. I just scream at it, <laughs>
1: not in, like in just like,
0: in pure joy
1: like like we know, like when like Kermit the Frog just goes and, like throws his hands up <laughs> like this game is such an exercise of like pure unadulterated joy it's It's yeah. just hard to even really describe like you know we've talked about it many times in, when we discuss things like Freedom planet and, and stuff, but it's when you play a game. That was made just totally as an act of love. Yeah, to celebrate something, to pay homage to something. uh, It you can feel the dedication of the developers just like pour through their understanding of what made these previous games so special. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just it's it feel it's a celebration. It's a it's a tweak and a modernization of those classic racers and just to play it is an exercise of joy because this game only wants you to be challenging yourself and having fun yeah like you know there's there's no gear shifting there's just gas Mm -hmm.
0: brake turbo you've got you don't even need to use the brake do you You just need to let go of the accelerator yeah classic classic vanishing point racer it's like you have a brake but yeah you don't need to use that brakes are for pussies yeah it's only really useful (laughs) if you're about to like ram some guy in the butt
1: like you can you can break because it's probably will delay you less to break for a split second than it will be to actually collide with someone but like even collisions aren't terribly like yeah terribly bad but uh yeah i just i can play it it's simple i don't normally understand racing games but this is just so fun and arcadey and The tracks are short, and it's just constantly throwing new things at you. New tracks, new cars, new music, new vistas. Mm -hmm. It's just there's always a feeling of something new to see. Um, And then, of course, you compound that with chasing better times, replaying tracks. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just the kind of game that I can... I can see myself coming back to for a long time especially especially in that special like i've got a half hour to kill niche which is you know not every game i like is a good fit for that very important Mm -hmm. uh spot in my gaming life so yeah yeah horizon chase just nails it
0: yeah what i find really interesting about horizon chase is that it's not trying to be sort of a straight remake of something like top gear so it doesn't it doesn't use any pixel art for example so it's not trying to it's not trying to recreate the sprite based pixel art look of top gear um instead what it does is this lovely sharp high res a lot of it is untextured 3d look Um, and so it has these sort of low poly objects down the side of the screen um it just keeps everything moving really quickly but the interesting thing is if you look very carefully what they've done is something very clever which is um rather than sort of handling it in completely true polygonal 3d what they've done is they've they they even have the objects sort of scaling out the background in that slightly wonky way that um if you think of like old sega super scaler games did where sort of the the 3d just didn't look quite right so like when stuff was appearing over the horizon it was sort of it would sort of appear a little bit too quickly to look completely realistic. But they've absolutely nailed that look in Horizon Chase with polygonal objects and it's just such a nice little touch that makes it feel so authentic to these old games while not being a straight remake of them using pixel art. It's yeah, they've really done a remarkably observant job of paying homage to these older games. What the and Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna
1: say what the graphics in this game look like. Like, The best way I can describe the graphics in this game to somebody who hasn't seen it is like, remember in like the late '80s when they would like make a movie and like video games would be like part of the movie's plot, (laughs) and then they would use like bad '80s CG with like low poly like objects, and they would like go into the virtual world, and like (laughs) that's what this game looks like.
0: Yeah, like like yeah. a
1: tree is just like a, a, a like a triangular prism with four sides <laughs> that's been like stretched. Like it's so great.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. But they, they, again, they've they've sort of taken the approach of these old games of like tracks are distinguished by things like their color scheme and the the specific objects down the side of the road and so on. And just changes as simple as that can make a track feel completely different to the other ones that you do. And it's just. A real great example of of less is more in terms of game design. It's like you say; it's it's really simple to play, it's really simple in structure, but it's just so fun and satisfying. And the fact you can play it for like ten minutes, or you can play it for several hours, as yeah. I did last weekend. Yeah, fantastic, absolutely. Have
1: fantastic. you have you played the Easter Island track where you're just flanked yes. by Moai heads on the yes. like all sides?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Oh uh, yeah, and the music and like part of the thing is like. I just don't want to put the game down because I just want to keep hearing the music.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic soundtrack, which is, it's it's sort of, it uses sort of uh, modern mixing and instrumentation, but the the actual sort of specific way it's composed is is very authentic to those older tracks that Barry Leach did. In fact, at one point I was playing the game and I thought, hmm. It sounds a little bit similar to uh, an old PC flight simulator I used to enjoy called TFX. There was like a specific sort of synthesized uh, electric guitar sound that was kind of wailing away in the background. And I thought, I recognize that sound. I wonder if. And then I looked up the TFX soundtrack on YouTube and it was composed by Barry Leach. So Mm. I was like, yeah, okay, All right. That makes
1: sense. All right. All All hands on deck. Barry Leach's band camp digital version of the soundtrack five dollars or full physical
0: compact disc for 15 <laughs> we can own this in exactly. our lives fantastic yeah it's it's also available on uh, google play music as well for streaming and there's a there's a remix album as well um which features both horizon chase turbo and top gear tracks uh with like live guitar playing over the top of it and orchestrated stuff so that's that's a really good listen as well Oh dear. Um, so yeah, that's that's been accompanying my drive to work for the last week. <laughs> <laughs> I love I
1: love listening to old old um old Vanishing Point racer soundtracks when I drive. <laughs> Probably yeah. not a great idea, but <laughs> I have like a like a Chris's driving mix like on my on my iTunes on my iPod, and it's like all like old Horizon Chaser soundtracks like music from Outrun uh music from the original Saturn version of Daytona USA.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. A little bit yeah, of Ridge so, Racer type 4. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's, it's good driving music. I mean, you would expect that really, wouldn't you? But uh yeah. Yeah, so so this is really good. Just just like the way he's composed it though is is very authentic to how he would have done it back in sort of the the 16-bit days as well so there's lots of sort of to get musically technical on you there's lots of things like sort of arpeggios and that sort of thing and um sort of intertwining musical lines and so on and it 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 sounds authentically retro it's kind of hard to pin down exactly why but it 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 has been composed recently but it sounds like it was composed back in sort of the mid-90s as well and that's that's yeah that's one of the things that's so good about it oh but yeah such a great game such a great game i'm so glad i picked that up because it's yeah a wonderful part of my collection now that i will be playing a great deal for a long time (laughs) all right so let's move on to the other thing today uh which is pokemon yeah um so we're talking about pokemon now rather than in the third segment because um as usual when we're talking about a um a subject that has kind of an obvious frame of reference we kind of want to look at the 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 kind of lesser appreciated or the overlooked side of those things but we have both been playing pokemon right now so we, we we did want to talk about it so uh we'll start now so pokemon sword and shield uh first thoughts please Uh, It's delightful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me
1: so much so far was, um, you know, after all the controversy about the lack of national decks or whatever, I don't think I was prepared for how big the Galar decks would be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, literally every new area I'm going in, I'm catching five to ten new Pokemon that I didn't have before. Like, it's... Uh, I, I you know I think part of me when I heard there wasn't going to be a national dex thought it would be like the classic Pokemon way of like okay this dex is going to have 150 to 200 Pokemon but mm. it's clearly no. not it's massive how many Pokemon I, are in this game I think
0: it I think it's 400 Yeah yeah I think it's 400 um so it's it's doable but it's um but it's a fair bit of work to get there and as you say yeah every new area you go to you'll be seeing new stuff which is great and often a lot of new stuff that you haven't seen before in the series as well. There's like a few sort of familiar faces here and there, but then a lot of new stuff as well. So it's always a nice surprise. Even if you're a long-standing Pokemon veteran, you'll come across these new Pokemon that no one has seen before, and it's great. And then of course you've got the um, uh, Galar forms of them as well, uh, of sort of classic ones. And, oh my God, yeah, Galar
1: Ponyta! <laughs> I love, love Galar Ponyta so much. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I've, I've been really enjoying this. As as we've spoken about, I think, a couple of times before on this podcast, I've I've sort of played Pokemon a few times in the past, but I, I've never been sort of a super fan of it for various reasons. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, Moon, which I know is one that sort of a lot of Pokemon veterans didn't enjoy quite so much because of the things that made it more accessible to newcomers. Um, but this, this game seems to strike a really good balance between these two potential audiences so for people who are new to the series you have the option of them explaining a lot of things as you go along but also if you already know all those things there's pretty much always an option to say yeah i know all this let's just move on
1: yeah Um, yeah and when you demonstrate things you're like oh you already understand type matchups like they yes yeah like yeah yeah that's right i know water beats fire get out
0: of my face hop (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, so, I, I mean, there's there's so much to like about this game. And uh, as as a Brit, I'm seriously impressed by how well they have um, kind of adapted the, a very idealized look at Britain. I mean, I wrote about this recently on Moe Gamer. I did a whole feature comparing Pokemon locations to uh, real-life locations that I'm familiar with in the UK. And, yeah, they while they're not direct, complete analogues... Um, they capture the atmosphere just absolutely perfectly in so many different ways. So right from the beginning where you're sort of in a tiny little village that's made up of uh, sort of old farmhouses that have been modernized inside and so on, uh, up until uh, like the the, the final city which you reach, which is basically London, they've just done such a good job on the locales and the atmosphere of these different locales and the people who are there and the sights you can see and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a real pleasure to explore. Um, but it's a real pleasure to play as well. So there's a lot of exploring to do. There's a lot of battling to do. I feel like, although Pokemon's basic battle mechanics haven't really changed a lot over the years, I feel that Sword and Shields, they've just sort of refined it really nicely, so it's very understandable. You've always got access to all the information you need to make good decisions.
1: Yeah, that's the best part. That, that yeah. was an addition that I think Sun and Moon were the first to do. That's actually like straight up put the type matchups on your (laughs) on your on your like you know move list like this will be effective the other thing that i i love about the modern pokemon games is i mean obviously this is just probably something they always wanted to do but couldn't because of constraints but like just in-depth descriptions of what every move does yes like you're not you're not an old school pokemon guy right but like you know, there was a time m- many moons ago where it was like, "Oh, okay, your your Pokemon is uh, has leveled up, and now it wants to learn Fury Swipes." All right, what the f- like, do you do, <laughs> do you want to learn Fury Swipes, or do you wanna f- or do you wanna keep your current move set? am like, what the fuck is Fury Swipes? Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know. So like, I mean, obviously, like, Sword and Shield isn't the first one to do this, but like in modern pokemon having detailed understandable descriptions of what every move does and how it affects yep. the flow of battle to allow you to strategize and to figure out how that gets into your move set is invaluable and then yep. the fact that now in every pokemon center there's the dude that can help you forget moves and relearn old moves like if you make a mistake yes tremendous to your ability to like build your team just the way you want
0: yeah And like the best thing about that as well is if you capture a high-level Pokemon, you can then go and talk to him and you can relearn moves that the Pokemon would have got at lower levels as well. Yes. So like you you never miss out on a move that you would have got at a specific level. So there's no need to go and specifically catch a Pokemon of a specific level range to make sure you have a particular move, which is really nice. That's especially helpful in the post-game because in the post-game, once you've beaten the main story, um, it buffs up all the Pokemon in the wild area to level 60. Um, so everything you catch in the wild area after you finish the main story is at least level sixty, uh, wow. which means that otherwise you would have potentially sort of missed out on a bunch of moves. But with that feature there, you can go and relearn these old moves and really sort of get a loadout that you want. Of course.
1: Now I'll forgive you, Pete, because you're you're new to the world of Pokemon. But if you're catching a Pokemon at level sixty, you know you don't use that Pokemon, right? <laughs> You know you, yeah. you know you ditto breed it get a level 1 of it and then train it from level 1 so you get your <laughs> so you get the ev values and customize your move set because in terms of stats a pokemon raised from a low level and leveled up manually will always have higher stats than a pokemon in the wild caught at a level I don't know if you I know be- that or not
0: I I have been reading up on this recently and I believe that sort of the ev training has been a little bit different, so it's sort of cumulative now. I think so. Even if you catch a higher level one,
1: you yeah, but it's, still, it's not just about EVs. It's just about the way they stat Pokemon in the wild. So yeah, it, it's, it's like it's part because it's part of Pokemon's lore that a, that a raised Pokemon will always be stronger than a wild Pokemon. Yes. So yeah, like so like saying... that's baked into the stats, even without EVs as part of a as part of the equation.
0: Yes, that's what IVs is it? I think they call that. Is it, yeah, it, it, it's it's sort of they they have better base stats and so on. Yeah, yeah. So that that's one of those systems that the game doesn't necessarily explain to you, but it's one of those ones that has sort of become not necessarily law of the game itself, but not necessarily law of the narrative setting, I should say, but law of the the game. So it's something that people have sort of been discussing and analysing and stuff for a long time and. There are ways of finding out that information. Like in Sword and Shield, I think if you if you beat a certain tier in the Battle Tower in the post game, you can actually see what your IV values are. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so so you can see if a Pokemon has the best possible values, best possible starting values for all those stats. And then there's various ways that you can sort of manipulate your your EV values and stuff as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with this sort of thing. I haven't got too hardcore into that side of things yet, but yeah, I am I am familiar. Don't you worry? Don't you worry? <laughs> <laughs> very... Yeah, I, I've I've mostly been catching this stuff in the wild area to fill out my decks more than anything else, and then yeah, doing right. stuff like sending sending them out on pokey jobs and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but I haven't got into breeding at all yet. But uh, yeah, that seems like a whole side of things that could uh, occupy a lot of your time if you let it. <laughs>
1: yeah, well people get way, in I'm not a huge I'm not huge into breeding. I just did breed to fill my decks out. I don't mm-hmm. I don't get into the whole like breeding for move sets and breeding for values and 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 stuff, but. Yeah. I, I do breed heavily for the uh, just to fill my decks out you know because my you know my once I beat a Pokemon game, my my first priority is to fill out the starters. yeah so like I go and I breed my starter immediately get loads of level one starter babies and just throw them out there. like please give me your level one starter babies. like I, I have to have a full starter. And like I haven't gotten far in Sword and Shield, but the fact that Leon has a Charizard means I should be able to catch Gen One starters at some point, right? Mm-hmm. They're in they're in the decks. If he's got a Charizard, they're in the decks, right? So I don't know. Um,
0: he's he's I, I'll, I'll I'll just say he's he's in there. He's in there. I I'll I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I have one. I have one. You have a you have a
1: Charmander um, slash Charizard. Yes, yes, I do. Good then.
0: That's what. That's all I'll say for now. Then um, I'm gonna
1: catch you with Ditto so you can breed that fucker for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, lots of things I'm really liking about this. I really like the uh, the way the gyms work in this one with the gym challenges. Yeah, it's um, fun. So- so those are sort of really fun sort of mini-game puzzle type things. They're like a mini dungeon you have to do. And each one of them is different as well and thematically appropriate as well. So you'll never be doing exactly the same thing twice. So how, how far have you got so far? I just beat the third gym. Right.
1: So okay. I, I just beat the third gym and, and then I went all the way north in the wild area and got to Hammerlock. Met the eighth gym leader. And then they're like, "No, now you gotta go west." And I think the yeah. ghost
0: lady is next. I don't know. She's uh, fairy, I think. Yeah.
1: Oh, fairy! I'm sorry. Yeah. So yeah. I met I met her. She gave me her card.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so each each gym sort of has a, a thematically appropriate thing uh, in it. Um, so, like in the, in the grass gym at the beginning, you're like herding Wooloo around and trying to avoid uh, Yampers, who are who will send them running off in the wrong direction. Um, in uh, Nessus gym, the water one, you're sort of turning uh, flows of water on and off to be able to navigate your way to um, the, the the door you need to get to. Um, one you won't see because it's one of the ones where there's there's two possible gyms. The the, the gym where oh, you'll right. f- where you'll fight Melanie um, in Sword um it's the rock gym and it's one where you have to sort of work your way through kind of uh uh, i guess you would call it an invisible maze but there's there's basically pitfalls all around the arena and you have to work out where they are using um sort of a little device that vibrates when you're getting close to them so you have to feel your way around to work out where the pitfalls are um and yeah i i i love what they did with spikemouth as well like I um I saw some discussion of Spikemouth online, and people were like, "Oh, this this town's just a straight line." But I played Spikemouth, and it's like this is fucking Streets of Rage. What are you talking about? <laughs> so so what they've done with with Spikemouth is it's it, it's sort of a town that's kind of dilapidated and run down. And you and you reach it, and like the there's a big like metal shutter on it, and they're not letting people in. And you go in there, and it's all dark and neon lit, and there's this thumping soundtrack going on in the background that you think i recognize the sound of this and it's just like it's just like a a complete homage to the first level of streets of rage 2 by user kashiro and you work and you work your way along this uh, along this this town and it's side scrolling and you run into sort of thugs you have fighting type pokemon and at one point one point you defeat one of them that goes hey check out our cool neon sign and you look up and there's this neon sign on the side of a building there's just a hand pointing to the right with the word go underneath oh perfect (laughs) and it's just that's amazing that's amazing i love you
1: (laughs) yeah well you'll have to excuse me if i'm not particularly brokenhearted about not having gordy in my game when i can have (laughs) melanie in my game (laughs)
0: Indeed, indeed. Because, I get, I, because I get reasons. Beer, <laughs> yeah. I get beer though, so suck it. Oh, and I don't <laughs> what do, who uh, do no, I get? You, you, you would have had uh, Alistair who's the ghost one. That oh. was, that's the third gym, I think.
1: Oh, I didn't know there were two gyms that were swapped out.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's 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 two gyms where there's variation between the versions. Ah. So um there's the third one is beer or Alistair, depending on which one you are. And then there's I think it's the sixth or seventh? is either Melanie or Gordy. So. I'm fond of ghost types, so I'd rather have Alistair anyway. Yeah. Like, based yeah.
1: on the reasons I like Melanie, you can understand why I could care less
0: about Bea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic. Can we talk about how good the gym leader music is? Yeah. Oh, God, with the, with the crowds chanting yeah. and stuff in the background? Yeah, unreal. Yeah. It's like every time, every time I fought a gym leader, I just had to turn the volume up really loud, just because it's so good. It just makes it makes it a really significant big deal. And I, I mean, the game does a good job of that anyway, because like anytime you're fighting a gym leader, you're in like a big sort of football-style stadium. So the whole idea of Pokemon being like a national sport, similar to how football is the national sport of the UK, the way they treat it in the Galar region is, yeah fantastic they absolutely nailed that with sort of crowd chants and loud energetic music and it responds to what you're doing it's dynamic music so like if you get a pokemon defeated then it goes all muffled for a bit if you defeat someone it goes all triumphant and major key and that sort of thing it's just exactly what i want from like a major battle theme
1: it's definitely the first pokemon game that i've played where they really explore the notion of pokemon as sport yes like in a really solid way. I mean, obviously Pokemon has always been sport, but like this is the first game that's like puts a primacy on that. The idea that there's going to be spectators, there's going to be fans watching. Like it's really cool how they've contextualized that because every um every Pokemon game besides having its own kind of regionality also kind of has a slightly different way of contextualizing the way like culturally that region views pokemon and like the the role pokemon serve as part of that culture um you know sun and moon was very big on nature and like natural balance and like understanding the role that pokemon play as part of ecosystems right because there weren't Mm -hmm. even there weren't even gyms and and sun and moon there were just these these ecosystem challenges where you met people who kind of like lorded over and protected specific biomes Yes, and like you, you did a challenge with them to learn about the biome and like the way, like the mountain region, like pl- the, what what the mountain region and the flora and fauna of the mountain region does for the world around it. Like that was yeah. how sun and moon went. So it was really neat to like move away from that and then the whole new approach it, culturally in the Galar region is just sport, like and and yeah. Getting pumped about Pokemon battles and and the idea of the challengers as and and gym leaders as celebrity, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they I mean they they sort of really nail that with like the collectible card aspect and sort of the fact that you have to you have to dress in uniform to do a gym battle and that sort of thing as well. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of a really a really good way of capturing sort of the the British attitude to sport i mean it's it that's not a side a sort of a a side of British culture that i particularly engage with or anything but obviously i'm sort of passively aware of that sort of thing and they've really kind of nailed that feeling and sort of the the respect that there is for people who are at the top of their game in a particular um in a particular sport you kind of like coming from old pokemon like it's
1: you know i think back to like the the original the game boy originals like you went to a gym right and gym towns was supposed to be this massive thing right it's like life defining thing like the next great step in your journey but it was just like a you know like a like a two screen long room with like a (laughs) a maze in it and like there was nothing to it but like but like gyms or stadiums in galar like it's it's just this notion that you're being watched by hundreds of people and like you talk to people when you're making your way to the stadium and they're like oh i'm really excited to watch you take on the champ like yeah like you are a celebrity because you're a challenger and you're making your way like just that whole notion that like the whole world is watching and like people are seeing what you're doing and and then also, there's a lot of commentary baked into the narrative then about the nature of celebrity and the pressure yeah. of celebrity, and like how Hop feels the weight of his brother's success on top
0: of him at all times, and like the need yeah. to live up to that. Like, it, it, there's a there's a whole lot there. Hop is really nicely handled, actually. Like, he's a, he's a really good rival. Um, he's he's sort of been memed on a bit by the internet, but. He's handled really well in terms of like the core narrative themes of what's going on. He he's a really good character that explores the, like you say, the the the, the pressure of celebrity, uh, the sort of inferiority complex when you have a sibling who's sort of better at stuff than you, mm-hmm. and um, sort of wanting to wanting to better yourself but sort of being obstructed by things. Like I I felt quite bad every time I beat Hop because every time he shows up and he's like i'm going to beat you this time i've no. i've thought of a new strategy i've got a new lineup of teams and then i just obliterate him yeah <laughs> you've got four <laughs> you
1: you've got four pokemon this will be over in four moves get out of
0: my face <laughs> yeah i know i i just felt really bad every time because you just know that every time you beat him although he's like yeah you're my best friend you're my greatest rival and that sort of thing you just know that every time you beat him he's like ah oh, shit <laughs> well, like when, when, like, because I'm at the point in the story where he gets trounced by what's his name for
1: the first time, yeah, and it like devastates him, yeah. Well, I don't even how do I even pronounce that guy's name? I don't even know.
0: Oh, it's bead, I think, isn't it? Is it bead? Okay,
1: yeah. Um, boy, he's the worst, eh? Um, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if he gets better. The only the only problem I have with Sword and Shield so far, and I'm I'm sure it gets better. Um, because I only just beat the third gym, but like, I don't really feel like the narrative is going anywhere in terms of like stakes. Like, in in like, I don't feel at the point I'm at now where like that like Team Yell is like a bad guy with anything to say. <laughs> like, you know, like originally, like you know, like I think back to like Black and White with like mm-hmm. Team Galactic or whatever. And, like, we want to take Pokemon away from people. Like they yeah. were a bad guy yeah. with a goal, and it was scary, and you were fighting them pretty much right away. Like they were a threat, yeah. and it's like so. I, I I still can't get a feel for where this story is going in terms of the like the RPG part of the Pokemon experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sure it's going somewhere because of all like the like following what's her name around and like learning the history of the Darkest Day and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like so, t- it's, it's, it's taking long quite. It's actually quite
0: I interesting. Um. It's actually quite interesting that side of things. It, it sort of, it kind of doesn't really reveal the stakes until quite late in the game. I'll just leave it at that for now. But it, it doesn't really reveal what the actual stakes are until quite late in the game. And there's a few sort of surprises along the way. I mean, I don't trust um, Rose as far as I can throw him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, and and I mean, Oliana. I'm, I'm sure you like Oliana for various reasons, but um, I'm sure you can also. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure, you get, I'm sure you get a vibe from her. Let's let's just let's well, put they, it that way. The vibe I get from her is a very big part of
1: why I like her. But, but uh Yeah. No, I, I can yeah. kinda I can kinda piece together where things are going, but mm-hmm. and I feel like Bead's probably a pawn and his life's gonna get wrecked when he realizes he's been a dick for so long for bad reasons and like I'm starting to I'm starting to piece it together, but it's taking slower to get where I want it to be. Like.
0: yeah 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 so, so so the focus on the early game is very much on sort of the personal story of of your journey and hop's journey and that sort of thing and and Sonia sort of doing stuff in the background and then that all sort of comes to a head towards the end of the game so it, it, it does happen it just sort of happens a bit later than it does in some of the previous games yeah so look forward to that i shall <laughs> uh, and then and then there's there's a whole post game story as well which is uh, very strange so far oh cool oh I'll look forward <laughs> um, to that yeah so i'm i'm probably about halfway through that at the minute so uh working my way through that that's that's the thing that sort of takes you up to to capturing the the legendary for your version so oh you don't uh, get F- you don't
1: get the legendary before the gym um I mean before I, I the, got, i'm sorry before the champion challenge
0: i i'm, I'm not i'm not going to tell you Okay, cuz that cuz that's part that's part of the interesting stuff that happens towards the end. Okay. So you will st- stop trying. No, it's fine. It's fine. It, I just don't want to spoil you on it. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. But yeah, there is there is sort of a a, a post-game story to follow and then there's the battle tower and then there's all um, things like the max raid battles and capturing stuff in the wild area and filling out your pokédex and stuff. So there's, there's a lot to do. I'm at about I think 45 hours so far. Um, and there's still lots for me today. Mm-hmm. So Welcome. so people who are complaining, oh you can beat this in 8 hours. It's like, yes, um, you can who? probably you can pro- you can probably speed it, speed run it in 8 hours, but Ooh, fuck who <laughs> I I'm, I'm at like 4 I'm at like 14 hours and I just beat the yeah. third gym. Yeah.
1: But I like to take yeah. my time and catch pokemon and train new teams for each gym. So like I'm not like I luxuriate in a pokemon game. Like, yeah, exactly. because I want to live in this world. Like exactly. i I'm not rushing, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. Same, and it it really pays to take your time as well. So, like, if you engage with stuff like the um, the camping mechanics and the the curry making and that sort of thing, that that provides you with benefits because it allows you to sort of do things like build up your friendship with your Pokemon and so on. And then the friendship system has mechanical benefits in battle as well. So, like, if you're if you're close friends with a Pokemon, then it means that sometimes they'll be able to take one-hit ko moves and sometimes they'll dodge attacks that they wouldn't have normally dodged or sometimes they'll resist status effects and that sort of thing so the more time you put into it and the more you engage with the various systems the more you'll get out of it so yes i mean you probably can speed run the whole thing in about eight to ten hours or so but why why would you want to why would you want to there's so much so much to explore and enjoy along the way that yeah you should you should revel in it and explore it and luxuriate in it
1: what kind of goober think doesn't know that Pokemon doesn't start until you've rolled credits? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like everything else is just a barrier to end game in Pokemon. Yeah, like that's like collecting, training, building new teams, exploring the world, like at your leisure, like when everything's open. Like that's Pokemon. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, I I really appreciate. Um, some of the stuff they put in there that makes it a lot easier to build a new team if you need to and that's that's particularly helpful as you work your way through the main story so like you, you'll get to a point where you know like the next gym is going to be like water or rock or whatever anything right okay so i'm gonna need some pokemon that will be able to exploit that weakness and i don't have any at the minute so what you can do is you can go and catch some from somewhere and then you can make use of like the max raid battle system which always awards you with experience candies which allows you to get get new pokemon up to speed very quickly obviously as you say that doesn't sort of optimize them for sort of competitive or end game play or anything like that but it gets them up to more than more than strong enough to be able to take on the various gym challenges so yeah again if you if you don't engage with that side of things yeah you can sort of work your way through and grind or you can catch pokemon off the right level straight away and that sort of thing but yeah there's there's lots of different ways to approach the game and its progression and lots of interesting decisions to make along the way and i'm really enjoying it really enjoying it i'm glad i mean
1: i remember you know i always remember um, you know when we first started, kind of being friends, and I was always just kind of amazed by how blasé you were towards Pokemon. So it's really, it's really cool to me to watch you finally start to understand what it means to be like a fan and, and really enjoy these games.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I find myself wondering how much of that is due to it being on a console rather than a handheld. Yeah, but um, you enjoyed Sun and Moon. Yeah, I. It's it's kind of hard to say why I bounced off the old ones. I think i think because I, i've played several over the years i mean I, pl- I played red when it first came out but i think part of the problem with playing red when it came out is i played it just after i played final fantasy 7 oh sure um so i was like just getting into rpgs at the time and i played final fantasy 7 and was blown away by it and then yeah. i played red and i was like this this feels a bit primitive i yeah. mean i know it's not now in retrospect and so on but it's like i was what um, yeah 15 16 at to, the time or something like that so i was i was dumb and stupid in a graphics hall but
1: to be fair gen 1 and gen 2 didn't really have much to offer in terms of also being like an rpg yeah um it was really gen 3 where they started being like oh you know what Let's also really dig in deep in story and world building on this stuff. And, like, and, and yeah. so, like, I wouldn't even recommend you play, you knowing what I know about what you like, I wouldn't even recommend you play Gen 1 and Gen 2. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I would recommend you dig in with Gen 3 and above. And, yeah, don't go back to play the GBA versions of Gen 3. Play the, the 3DS remakes, y- y- you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like,
0: you would love Diamond and Pearl. Yes, yes. Everything I've read about Diamond and Power is like, yes, this sounds like an RPG I want to play. And black and white. You would love black <laughs> yeah. and white. So, yeah. there's a lot there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely something I'll have to explore a bit more over the, over the coming years. So, we shall see. I'm certainly having a good time with, with um, Sword and Shield right now, though. So, yeah. I'm finally here. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter how long you take to get there as long as you get there yeah exactly exactly all right any more you want to add on that before we move on no
1: that's that's it really just sword and shield's great and i'm loving it
0: wonderful all right let's take a short break then and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some other monster collecting games that we have found interesting over the years so see you in a moment Welcome back. For our third segment today, we wanted to talk about some monster-collecting games. Basically, not necessarily just RPGs, but monster-collecting games. And we specifically wanted to um, kind of avoid the big names. So we're not going to talk much about Pokemon because, well, we've already talked a lot about Pokemon in the previous segment. Um, But we're also not going to talk much about Digimon or Yokai Watch either. We're specifically looking at... um, stuff that isn't necessarily unknown but stuff that doesn't necessarily get talked about quite as much as those big three so this is not a subject i know a huge amount about i know about a few specific games along the way so probably the discussion is mostly going to be led by chris uh, in this <laughs> section because i know he's got very very substantial notes waiting for us to work through <laughs> I, so chris mon- i'll hand over you
1: they're monstrous they're monstrous yeah. lol all right right where do you um, want to begin then well, I think I just kind of wanted to talk about a little, before we kind of dig into some examples and mechanics and stuff, just kind of about what it is about this specific genre that's like so satisfying or interesting to play. Like, why it tends to be so addictive, why it tends to get such a great following. Um, you know, you're you are, of course, just learning about the magic of a good monster-collecting RPG. Like, it's not been a huge part of your Mm -hmm. gamer vocabulary as we've discussed in our previous discussions about Pokemon. So I'm really curious to hear about kind of how you feel about it coming to it later in life versus having had it always be a part of your gaming vocabulary. Yeah. Um, So like kind of just a couple touch points for me is just one of the things or a couple of the things in really standard RPGs that have always appealed to me are, um, i love to grind and i love to train characters and mm-hmm. watch them grow in strength and abilities um and i love experimenting with party builds um and in a traditional rpg your ability to do those two things is really just limited by the size of the party that the narrative has gifted you with yeah right so like you're playing final fantasy 7 like these are your characters you can train them and you can build them and you can use materia to experiment with their builds, but their builds are their builds and the parties that are available to you are whatever combination of three based out of those seven people you can cobble together to experiment with. Um, and you know, in a lot of RPGs, traditional, like, Japanese-style role-playing games specifically, what I like most is kind of reaching endgame and just exploring at my own will once everything opens up. And being able to do that training, collecting of special magics and collecting of special weapons and just maxing that party out. Like, that's really satisfying to me. Um, monster collecting games and monster taming games or whatever you want to do is essentially takes that aspect of traditional rpgs and makes it the focal point of the entire game yeah is this experimental party building training growth of your characters and they do this by removing that barrier of a limited party gathered by narrative I mean, uh, uh, governed by narrative and they just give you these massive playgrounds of like hundreds of potential party members yeah for you to build train and experiment with um So, like, when you combine those mechanical hooks with just my genuine love of collecting things as a hobby and my love of monsters conceptually and my love of art and character design, like, these types of games are just this perfect storm for me to look at hundreds of different design characters, to raise them, to build parties out of them, to experiment with playing with them. So it's just, it's such a very specific formula that taps into so many of the pleasure centers that are, like, central to my brain. Yeah. So, like, are you experiencing something similar to that as you start to get into, like, the groove of, like, playing Pokemon? Is like, are, are, are you tapping into some of that? Because I know your RPG love is more in, like, a like them- thematic narrative aspect of things and, like, less on this, like, mechanical
0: stuff I tend to focus on. Well, that's true to an extent, but I I have always enjoyed sort of grinding and getting more powerful and so on. Um, In terms of sort of character building and that sort of thing, I I always, well, previously, not so much now, but I, I, I previously sort of worried about getting things wrong and sort of making builds that didn't work and that sort of thing. Part of that was my own fault for reading reading things online, saying, well, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you'll make yeah. a broken character. It's like, no, don't no, read just anything. Just do what online. you want to do. Just do what you want. It's Yeah, it's much better. So, I mean, to an extent, I've always enjoyed this side of things, but I think sort of prior to sort of really getting into Pokemon this time around with, um, with like, Moon and Sword and Shield, um, I preferred, like, the the party members that i was controlling to to have some narrative context to them so like i i appreciated it when there was like a lot of customization you could sort of tweak them to however you wanted them to work but i kind of i kind of preferred them to be people if you if you see what i mean yeah um now having spent a bit more time with pokemon now i understand that um you in pokemon you still have um A sense of attachment to those characters that that was the thing i thought was missing from this type of rpg kind of a sense of attachment to the characters like in sort of the older pokemon games i was playing i was ending up sort of thinking of them very much as just collections of stats and moves and that sort of meant i didn't really care about them but in the more recent ones in particular they've done a really good job of giving them a lot of personality making them into although they don't say anything they they've made them into characters that you appreciate having around for various reasons and I yeah. think that's one of the reasons that i've kind of latched onto this a bit more in recent years um but i i have always enjoyed sort of the mechanical satisfaction of getting experience points leveling up and that sort of thing and um one thing that sort of strikes me as as we're discussing this is there's, there's kind of a certain connection back to um, almost a traditional Western RPG approach to these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think of like um, older dungeon crawlers, or if you think of the old D&D games and that sort of things, although they, they weren't about sort of collecting characters and so on, they were still about sort of building your own party as you saw fit. Yes. So, like, I'm I, I'm currently watching watching Pro Jared do a playthrough of um, Secret of the Silver Blades, which is one of the old Gold Box uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons games. And so, nearly an hour of the first part of that playthrough was him creating his characters. Sure. And so, making sure that they had the right stats he wanted, making sure that they had the right abilities, the right equipment, and even that they looked right. Um, and so, I think there's there's sort of an, a certain element in common with that here only rather than sort of creating a character and then and then sticking with it for 20 30 40 hours um, in monster collecting rpgs you you are sort of you have you have a lot more flexibility to kind of change things up as you go through and you can still get attached to these characters but uh, it's it's kind of a, a, a different focus and le- less less permanent in some ways but you've also you still got that emotional engagement there it's kind of hard to explain but yeah sure. I certainly appreciate it a lot more now than I did um, back in the day
1: good good. Yeah, and I think that the, the transition to 3D specifically for Pokemon was huge for that because yeah. although I obviously respect the hell out of the sprite work in the old 2D ones, the amount of animation that you know, the 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 amount of personality that the anim- animation and the 3D models allowed them to have from generation X forward really was just a game changer in terms of your ability to make you feel attached to those characters. Yeah. Like I don't know about you, but like you know like when I'm playing uh, and I am inching up on the next gym, and it's like, oh, this is a plant gym. Your, uh, your water guys are no longer useful. I feel genuinely bad when I got to stow them back in the box and rejigger my party <laughs> because, like, this was someone yeah. of this was a companion that I spent a lot of time training, and now I want to. And he got me through the last big challenge, but like, yeah. now, now you're useless, like, get out of here, <laughs> like, it's, it's tough, especially with the, the the camping mechanic in Sword and Shield is heartbreaking, right? Yeah, yeah. They just, like, want to run up to you and play with you, and I'm just like, oh, my babies! Like, I get so, ex- <laughs> I get, I get so excited. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, and I think that the modern tech has really brought that home in a huge way. Uh, so let's dig into some games. Um, kind of in the same vein as like Pokemon and Yo Kai Watch and Digimon. Like, I don't want to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on the Megami Tensei games because I do feel like they probably merit their own episode, or, mm-hmm. or, or at least or at least Persona maybe merits its own episode for sure. Yeah but you, you literally cannot talk about monster collecting games without talking about Megami Tensei um, because it is one of the progenitors of this entire genre. Yeah. Um, the original Megami Tensei for the Famicom came out in 1990. Uh, and in that game, you could recruit and train monsters. mm mm-hmm. um, Pokemon did not debut in Japan for the Game Boy until 1996. Yeah. So, really, Megami Tensei is one of... Uh, there may be earlier games out there that did this, but Megami Tensei is probably the earliest famous example that I can find that allows you to play a game this way. Yeah. Um, so, since 1990, we're, we're now in... 2020 so this year coming up on 2020 this this series is 30 years old which i don't yeah. think a lot of people realize because we didn't start getting shin uh mega 10 games until for famicom doing all kinds of experimental stuff with monster collection and genre play so um that's really important to contextualize. It's, it's definitely... You wouldn't have this genre if it wasn't for the experimental stuff The the Sh- Megami Tensei on Famicom and later Shin Megami Tensei on the Super Famicom were doing as early as the early 90s. Um, so monster collecting, training, and eventually fusing yeah. were always, like, the core of this series. Um, and then what they had done... Uh, especially starting in the Super Nintendo era, was really start using kind of the Mega Ten brand as a way to explore other types of genres and games while always keeping the collection and training of monsters as a core part of the series. So that was the unifying thread that allowed them to explore all kinds of different things. So, like the original Megami Tensei and Shin Megami Tensei games are just very traditional RPGs, mm-hmm. very in the kind of the Dragon Quest mold, just turn very traditional turn-based affairs. But then, of course, we have Persona, right? And that's kind of the one that's super famous. Um, uh, Persona is fusing yep. uh, dungeon crawling with visual novel and dating sim elements and in those visual novel and dating sim elements also tie into the monster collection but but another one of the things that persona did differently from the core mega 10 games was that yeah. in persona the monsters are more equipment you know so in the in the original shin mega 10 games you're you you're like you're one demon tamer guy mm-hmm. and in your party pokemon style is is comprised of your monsters What Persona did was flip that script and give you human characters, mostly, as part of your party, and then the Personas they have equipped govern their abilities and the spells they can do. But they're not companions, they're, they're equipment, and they're almost treated as disposable. Um, so that very different it's a, it's a different mm-hmm. within the same series same focus on yeah. collection training and leveling up monsters but the way Persona handles them is radically different than the way they're contextualized in the core games um, which I don't think is something that people really think about too often is is how that's, that, that slight shift in attitude toward how the monsters are treated and handled in terms of the mechanic and narrative thread um, then there's the devil summoner subset uh which was uh it's been around actually since the saturn but i think the ones that a lot of people remember the most are the the raido kuzunoha series on the ps2 and and those were great because they took um yeah everything you know about shin mega 10 and fused that with um Almost like a Tales of RPG style action combat system where the monsters were controlled by AI while you're also running around attacking. Um, so once again, same core concept, new set of mechanics and in a new yeah. setting. Um, then they, the Devil Survivor series, which was very popular on the DS and 3DS, took those monsters and then said, what if we slap them in a tactical RPG? Um, this was something that had been done on one of the games on the Super Famicom, but it's one that obviously mm-hmm. didn't come west because none of the Mega Ten games in the Super Famicom came west. But Devil Survivor revived that concept and said, we're going to take a tactical RPG with a grid-based movement system, and then we're going to fuse that with Mega Ten. So when... ...in Devil Survivor, when two characters are next to each other on the grid and you choose to attack... ...it then goes into a Dragon Quest-style first-person perspective RPG battle with the monsters in your team. Um, Then there were other, you know, after Pokémon came out in 96, everyone kind of wanted a piece of that pie. And, like, a lot of the games I'll talk about today are kind of Me Too Pokémon games in a lot of ways... But Shin Megaten, even though they were kind of the, one of the progenitors of this yep. even before Pokemon, yep. they jumped on that bandwagon. So, so there's uh, Last Bible, which is a series that's kind of cutesy, <laughs> yeah. um, almost like aiming at the Dragon Quest demographic, but also had the Monster Collection. But but they went on to make Devil Kids. Which, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's, it's straight up SMT Pokemon. Where like everything is yeah. cutesy. There's two separate versions with different monsters available in each version. <laughs> the, the whole nine yards just is SMT Pokemon. So that's really cool. Um, those are really fun to play. Um, there's also Strange Journey, which was very recent. And that took the Mega Ten monster collecting and slapped it on a hardcore dungeon crawler um you know in that tree and odyssey vein so just throughout the history the 30-year history of the series it's been amazing to watch how they've taken this core concept of, of demon collecting and training and fused it onto all kinds of different games while keeping that same identity solid yeah um, there's also the Digital Devil Saga series, which was one of the few series that didn't have collecting and taming, no, and really. monsters were just enemies. Yeah. yeah, but the ways in which you defeated monsters, you could choose to eat them <laughs> in, in in battle to devour them. There was a devour command, and uh, the monsters you devoured would affect your stats in certain. Oh, ways. okay. So there's there, there was an element of treating the monsters as a. a Core of building your characters up that yeah. way, but they weren't actually collected or, or trained and leveled
0: right. up. Right. Okay. Yeah, my sole experience with Mega Ten to date has been uh, Persona, so that's sort of obviously very much a, a, a specific subset of what's going on with the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Persona has has always been quite interesting to me, like you say, because of the the different blend of elements and how they all feed into each other. And, and yes. sort of the way that, so, so they are all dependent on each other in various ways. So, so the dungeon crawling side of things is uh sort of one of the main ways that you get the monsters in the first place. Uh, and then the ones you have in your possession, they can cause you to have better progress in the the social segments of the game. So, like if you have the right kind of arcana for the person you're trying to talk to then yeah you'll you'll get a better friendship increase for them and then in turn the better your relationship is with that person the more you'll be able to buff up and level up a monster when you create one through fusion and so on so yeah it all ties together in persona games and uh, while it's while it's easy to focus on sort of the the cool social aspect of persona they they're all very mechanically solid as well and very interesting from a progression perspective um yeah so uh, Persona 3 uh, was the the first time I encountered that and I encountered that a lot later than um, the American audience because it took so long to come out in Europe after the American release it was like it was at least a year possibly longer than that um, before we got it here but yeah it was it was something I found really really engaging and interesting and sort of just just sort of seeing what just the, the 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 kind of i guess exploration is the right word and sort of getting to a new part of the tower in that game and finding out what the new monsters were to offer and seeing how they got more and more obviously powerful looking and monstrous the further you went through the game and so on so sort of like you're starting off by collecting things like pixies and so on and by the yeah. end of the game you're getting like gigantic devil monsters and that sort of thing and it's yeah it was a really deck chariot yeah <laughs> I, I never actually saw that until much later. I didn't know Mara was a thing until much later. When someone said, "Yeah, oh, have you ever seen the Dick Chair in Persona?" I was like, "No, what?" There's no, there's no going back. Yeah, yeah. I did enjoy the fact that they made a real point of bringing up Mara very early in Persona Five. <laughs> oh, did yeah. they?
1: I haven't, I haven't played Five yet. I'm very excited for Royal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it made perfect thematic sense from. Uh, what the story was doing at that point to bring up Mara at that point, but uh, yeah, yeah, they 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 brought it up early. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so like I, said, I don't have a ton to say about a lot of these games today, but uh, yeah, I do, I do want to acknowledge that sort of Persona has Persona has been probably one of my sort of. Defining games along the period, like a a game that really sort of resonated with me. I was like, Yes, this is something that I very much enjoy and I want more of. So, yeah, I I do want to acknowledge that side of things.
1: Yeah, and that feedback loop. Yes. Like, so was that one of your first experiences with that feedback loop of collecting the monsters and leveling them up and fusing them and trying to find that like perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and, and sort of seeing the little percentage gauge in the corner of your compendium going up and thinking, "Mm, maybe I can make it to 50%, maybe I can make it to 75%, and so on. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah,
1: I I am really excited to finally get my myths on five next Mm -hmm. year.
0: Yeah, very interested to see how Scramble comes out as well, because um, yes, um, early impressions of that seem very, very positive so far, so it'll be, inter- oh, be good. interesting to see how that sort of, uh, I, I guess that's probably going to be almost a return to something similar to um, what you were talking about with the Raider Kuzanawa stuff, in some ways. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I know we've talked before occasionally
1: about, like, if I could make my dream game, mm-hmm. And whenever people ask me to talk about conceptually in terms of genre or gameplay mechanics, like, Chris, if you could actually program and you had millions and could have a studio and and you could make your dream game, the first thing I always go to is I want a Musou-style game with monster collecting and training. Yeah. Yeah, I want to fuse those two extremely addictive types of games together into something just as full on brain dead, <laughs> could play it for hours without thinking about an action. Yeah. Fused with monsters to collect and train. Yep, that sounds pretty um, great to me. Dra- Dragon Quest monsters Dragon Quest heroes kinda did that a little bit, but the monsters were just items that you deployed for use in battle. Like that you didn't actually keep them yeah. or train them. They didn't evolve. You couldn't fuse them. They were just they were like almost like spells you could cast. Right. It, so it was it was a little different, but yeah, like and I've I've been like for years just kind of like doodling my ideas for like character designs for a game that would exist in that sphere. <laughs> I I love the idea of it. Um, so yeah, that's like my dream game is a is a Shin Mega Ten, <laughs> a Shin Mega Ten Muso mm. game. So like, who knows how Scramble will turn out. I don't know how much you'll actually, like, what role the monsters are playing in Scramble if you're going to, like, collect or train them in any way. Like, they haven't really revealed any of that. But the potential's there to really, really be something special. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right, what's next on the list, then?
1: I I wanted to bring up something that I think you'll be able to speak to because I've actually never played this game, but I know you have. Um, So kind of going on, kind of, chronologically exploring kind of the history of monster tamer games as a genre mm-hmm. um, one, I, you know one of the things that was really important to me in putting my notes together was to to find games that really at least a couple games that predated Pokemon yep. So so we can understand that Pokemon wasn't the first to do this. It was just one of the best to do this. Um, so 1992, uh, Dragon Quest V right. on the Super Famicom yes. was also one of the earliest games to feature a monster taming and collecting mechanic.
0: Yes, yes. So I've played the DS version of this. I still haven't finished it, actually. I'm like right before the final boss and still haven't been there. I should do that at some point. Um, but yeah, Dragon Quest V. I mean, a lot of people focus on the uh, kind of the main unique selling point of that game is the sort of three generations and, and sort of. Uh, finding your wife and having your kids and that sort of thing. But there's also a very significant uh, monster collecting component to that as well. So as you progress through the game, sometimes when you beat some monsters, they'll decide that they want to join you rather than just just being defeated. Um, And in that way, you can collect a bunch of monsters to complement your party members in various ways. And there's quite a significant number of them that you can get throughout the course of the game. And it's not... um, it's not a case of like you can get a whole bunch of them early and then stick with them through the whole game as well there are sort of interesting and new relevant monsters to encounter and discover and be able to uh train right up until the end of the game pretty much um and the way they work in that game is they they, they're just party members they just work exactly the same way as your party members so there's there is there is no distinction in dragon quest 5 between um the the party members that you've recruited as part of the story and the monsters that you've recruited through combat and added to your collection and so there's nothing stopping you if you want to have a fight that is you your wife and two slimes you can do that if you want to have a party that is entirely your family you can do that if you want to have a party that is just you and the cutest monsters that you've acquired throughout the course of the game you can do that as well (laughs) um but it's quite nice as well because you can you can also use the monsters in kind of a sort of more passive way in that game as well. So um, I, because of what I've said about my personal preferences with RPGs about having sort of narratively relevant characters in my party, what you can do in Dragon Quest uh, Five is because your battle party is four members, but sort of the the squad you can take around with you at any time is I think eight people or eight party members. Uh, you can sort of leave the leave the monsters there in a sort of supporting role. In various ways, so like you can have some monsters in kind of the back line who are acting as healers. So when you get out of battle, you can do the heal all command, and the monsters can take care of that side of things and that sort of thing. So although they're not sort of directly participating in combat, if you do that, they are still having a helpful role in the party, and that's helping you to develop a certain amount of attachment to them as well. Um, and you can name them and that sort of thing. Naming them is a really important part of of that side of thing. I was I was reading when I was researching sort of the history of Pokemon and so on, like one <laughs> one, of, one of the most important things that they said about um, Pokemon is that they hoped people would give names to their monsters because that would that would help them develop a sense of attachment to them. And that's that yeah, that's absolutely something you can do in Dragon Quest as well. You can name this all is, your monsters. This is, this is one of the hottest debates in all of Pokemon, you know, <laughs> Whether, whether
1: or not it's right to name your Pokemon. <laughs> one of my favorite new features of Sword and Shield is the ability to turn off them even asking me to name my Pokemon. <laughs> I have never done it. I will never do it. And now Sword and Shield means it's one less thing I have to press B on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I've, I've named every Pokemon I've caught. Every single i know way. you I, I know you have <laughs> and i've done my best not to make fun of you for it i am i'm on team do not name your monsters <laughs> no I, I i kind of understand the appeal um to to not naming them because i mean the different breeds of pokemon they have a name elsewhere in the game people only ever refer to pokemon by their species names and so it kind of makes a certain amount of sense in there but I I do also firmly believe in the whole naming things to develop a personal attachment with them, and that's yeah, that's a, that's applied to a lot of games over the years. So, uh, my I mean, like a, a common example is uh, stuff like the XCOM series, where you name your soldiers and that, and then feel really bad when they die and that sort of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. And um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a really powerful way of getting people to engage with the characters in a game and um, that sort of thing. And so, sort of, when you can think. Uh, it, it's the difference between thinking of oh oh, my my golem's in my party or thinking oh Charlie's in my party and yeah it's yeah I'd much rather, rather think of Charlie the Gollum than just my golem. <laughs> I think for
1: me it's like always been like in the world of Pokemon sometimes you do come across people who name their Pokemon yeah. but it's like they're so far and few between that I've come to think of them as like the weirdo degenerates of the Pokemon
0: <laughs> like this guy names his Pokemon <laughs> <laughs> yeah at the same time yeah can i also just say it's always bothered me that they call pokemon it in pokemon it's like no that's a he <laughs> yeah
1: well they do yeah they didn't always have genders though yeah yeah that didn't come across i was gen two introduced genders and in breeding yeah i think so I, I think yeah so it wasn't always a thing yeah there's, can we just talk about how, side, sidebar, how I didn't know that the evolved form of the new fox Pokemon had a mustache.
0: <laughs> yeah, even when female. Even when
1: female. <laughs> so, like, I like, when I saw there was an adorable fox Pokemon, I was like, well, this is my new favorite Pokemon ever. So, like, I was like, I had to catch a female one because it was an adorable fox. Uh, and then it evolved and it had a mustache. And I was like, why did I spend... 45 minutes running around the very first area just to get a goddamn female <laughs> nick it. And then it turned into... It had a freaking Arrow Flynn mustache on it. Uh, and yep. my my car Cole is, is female, which I, I just love, like,
0: having, like, like the dumpiest, like... I, I love charcoal. Charcoal is so great, and like when he when he develops into colossal as well, it's so. so oh,
1: I didn't know there was another form. Yeah, I'm, yeah, he's got go- three. I'm googling forms. that. Yeah, yeah, there's always a standard third form rock guy. I should know that.
0: Yeah, no, he's he he's like a fixture in my party at the minute. So he's, he's yeah, he, I he, always have a rock guy. Yeah. Um. We weren't going to talk about Pokemon. Oh, he's, <laughs> oh, he's awesome! Yes. I can't wait. Yes, he's amazing. He looks particularly good when Dynamaxed, as well as you can probably imagine. Oh, does he have? <laughs> is he one of the ones that has a special form when he um, Dynamaxes? Th- there is a Gigant- Gigantamax version. I, I don't have that one, but he looks good in just standard Dynamax as well. But the, yeah, there is a Gigantamax form of him as well. So, yeah, Wicked. Get, that's that's your next target, I guess. <laughs> uh
1: boy do i love me some, po- some uh, monster collecting yeah
0: this is only in monster collecting
1: rpgs like this this level of like excitement over these like characters these monsters and creatures yeah yeah so dragon quest 5 one of the earliest games to really experiment with this um lufia 2 on the super mm-hmm. nintendo or also 1995 in japan so it did predate pokemon once again by year didn't have a heavy collection element but there were there were seven capsule monsters that you could collect throughout the world that you could level up train and help evolve into different forms throughout the game so it wasn't this kind of element of there being tons of them to collect and train but there was like monster friends that would evolve and change Uh, So spinning off of Dragon Quest, of course, that feature in 5 was so popular, and then Pokemon came around in 96, which led to the Dragon Quest people going, you know what, me too. (laughs) And then we got Dragon Quest Monsters, which is a delight dragon quest monsters is actually has been around for a while 1998 almost as long as pokemon only two years after pokemon's debut but it's really just the perfect series for people who love toriyama's monster designs yeah because you can just be friends with them and collect them (laughs) and love them instead of walloping on them um uh the your relationship with monsters in general has always kind of been an interesting part of the dragon quest series like uh i know i've mentioned this before but there was a really interesting interview with one of the creators and and designers of dragon quest 11 the most recent game about um the way monsters are conceptualized in the series um because someone had asked them a question about like well like i feel bad like wailing on the cute monsters mm-hmm. like this is i don't like it um And the way that the Dragon Quest people phrased it up was like, oh, wait, you don't kill the monsters in Dragon Quest. Yeah. Like, you've never killed the monsters in Dragon Quest. You just, like, give them a walloping so they feel bad about what they've done, and they, like, scamper off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And, like... hearing that come from like one of the creators of dragon quest just like endeared the series to me more (laughs) just this idea that you're not killing the monsters you're just giving them like a what for and then and then they go and then they go away chastened (laughs) like i love it so much um so like keeping in mind that like friendliness with the monsters has always been a part of dragon quest um, Dragon Quest Monsters was just kind of a natural evolution of that yeah um, and it's not counting spinoffs and enhanced versions and ports it's not it's nine titles in the Dragon Quest Monsters series No,
2: oh, really like I don't know yeah.
1: I, I don't think people realize how long it's been around and how many games there are um, I, now I did not play the original ones like back on the Game Boy and stuff um, but I did play the hell out of the Joker series yeah which is kind of the modern 3D ones, um, which started on the DS. Um, Joker 1 and 2, I played so much, and I still mourn the fact that Joker 3 was never localized for the 3DS, because it looked amazing and we never, ever got it. Um, Much like Pokemon, the Monsters series has always kind of just traditionally been the handheld versions of Dragon Quest. Um, so it's interesting because the new enhanced, uh, switch report of the original one that's coming out is going to be kind of the first time without using special adapters that you'll be able to play a Dragon Quest Monsters game on a television. So that's pretty cool. Pardon me. All right. So touched on some big stuff. Let's break out some weird stuff. Yes. Um, Azure Dreams. Okay. Familiar with are you familiar with Azure Dreams?
0: Um, is this the is this the the PS one game with like a big tower and it's sort of a roguelike but also a dating sim? Is yeah, that, that's yeah, the one. That's the one, cool. Yeah, never actually yeah. played it, but always wanted to play it. I remember seeing adverts and previews for it and really, really wanting to play it, and then it never came out over here. So okay. Oh. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, so Azure Dreams
1: is a really neat game. Uh, The original PS1 version came out in 97 in Japan, 98 in the States. Uh, Then then there was a really, like, mushed-up Game Boy Color version. Yeah. um, For... uh, That came out in 99. Um, This is from Konami, back when they experimented with making cool games. (laughs) Um, And, as you mentioned, it essentially combines a pretty traditional fushigino dungeon mystery dungeon style roguelike Mm -hmm. with a monster collecting and training game there's also a dating sim romance element in the main town like harvest moon style um, which affects the game but the big thing is here in azure dreams it's a very traditional roguelike in the sense that you reset to level one every time you leave the tower yeah the difference is your monsters don't ah okay so like you're kind of useless. <laughs> like you are relying on your monsters, who yeah. are the, the the only consistent thread of growing power for you. So it's an it's a unique twist on that mystery dungeon style game. Yeah. Uh and it just has a really charming aesthetic. Just just that ps1 era like pre-rendered sp- sprites that like bop up and down and look squishy <laughs> it's it's really cool there's also like a like a successor to that on the ds okay uh it's adventure
0: right
1: uh was 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 by some of the same people and and utilized some of the same concepts but it was clunky as shit in that charming way that like launch era th- ds games were yeah. like it's it's not it's not an easy one to dig in and enjoy put it that way um but yeah really really like azure dreams and i know this game has a pretty heavy like cult following yeah all right so azure dreams is cart cardia or karsha or however you want to pronounce that mm-hmm. uh, on the on the ps1 as well that was 1998 um i remember karsha i never played it myself but i always wanted to get a copy it um it always stood out to me because uh yoshitako mono did the art for it yeah, yeah. So, so what it wasn't a final fantasy game that had a mono art on the cover and it confused me <laughs> it, it confused like teenage me in a big way in a big way <laughs> um but yeah apparently that game also fuses a tactical grid based rpg with um some elements of collecting and training um the game focuses around these cards that you collect and those cards allow you to summon phantoms into battle now the cards can have different effects too like, some of them are just spells that can be cast some of them are equipment but some of them are actual summons for battle companions yeah that, that form your party and then you can level those up and and train them so, that's cool. There's a fusion element, just like with, with Shin Megami Tensei, where you can combine them to create more powerful forms. Um, which I always feel a little iffy about. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I uh dragon quest monsters has fusion elements as well but i i my preference in monster collecting games and this is something i kind of talked to, to you about when we were first amassing our ideas for this episode but like there's a very clear split in monster collecting and training games between games that te- that treat their monsters like kind of expendable resources yep. versus games that treat the monsters like companions to be loved
0: yes yes
1: and like my preference is definitely for the pokemon style of like companions to be loved.
0: Yeah, I think like, I think that's my preference as well. that just reminds me as well with with your sort of slightly feeling bad about fusion and that side of things. Persona 5 is specifically specifically makes a point of making you feel bad about fusion because Does it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, like you know you know sort of the whole aesthetic of the velvet room in Persona 5 is uh, like sort of jail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you fuse monsters, uh, you execute them quite graphically. Oh, (laughs) jeez.
1: Yeah, I was not aware of that. I always feel bad about when when games have a fusion mechanic. I don't. I always don't like it. Yeah. I don't like the idea of like saying goodbye to two companions just to get one that I've spent time working on. Like it's weird to me.
0: Yeah. 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 Now in Persona Five, you like sticking them in a guillotine, and yeah, yeah, it's not very nice. Oh, I'll, I'll look forward to. it. Yeah, that, please though. look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, moving
1: on to additional weird strategy RPGs with monster collecting elements. I just, I didn't play this game a lot. I own it, but um, you ever played Eternal Poison on the PS2? No, don't think I heard of that even. Yeah, Google it. <laughs> it's it's oh, so no. pretty. Poison. It was called Poison. Poison Pink was its name in Japan it was Ooh. released in 2008 for the ps2 it has a beautiful gothic style with really soft like painterly color use
0: oh this looks lovely it looks it looks kind of um shadow hearty
1: yeah very much so mm. um yeah I, this is one of those games it's like I, I like to whip out on people occasionally who want to want a really obscure game to, to talk about yeah um, it has a really stunning gothic aesthetic Um, and this is a a turn based, grid based strategy RPG with a monster collecting and training element. Um, I know that these have existed in the past because I've talked about some of the older ones, but this was actually the first game I ever played that took a a tactical RPG with monster training and collecting approach. Um, so it was big for me because I'd never, I'd never engaged with that before. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and this was developed by Flight Plan, who uh, kind of made a name for themselves with the Summon Night series, which is cu- quite popular. Yeah. Um, but interestingly enough, Summon Night doesn't have a month, even though its name is Summon Night. It doesn't. It does not have a monster training element <laughs> to it. Like every every main character gets a companion monster, but like you don't catch more. Yeah. Like there's there's like none of that. Yeah. Um, so those are those are a couple uh examples from kind of that era. Oh eternal poison never
0: uh, came out over here. Um oh, and surprise. the copy on eBay is two hundred and eighty three pounds eighty seven pence. Ew, is it really going for that much? Uh there's one on Amazon for £139.53. Uh, huh. But yeah. The cheapest one I could see is forty two pounds fifty six with my no manual. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, I didn't I
1: didn't realize it was a bit of a collector's item. I didn't yeah, think looks, anyone knew it existed.
0: Yeah, it looks like it is.
1: Cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, I well, I like that game a lot. <laughs> I, I look, uh, yeah, that looks like something I would like very much as well. But uh, sadly, it looks like I will never own a copy. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's just, it's just like Gothic Lolitas making Baphomets beat yeah. each other up. Like it's, it's very in tune with most of the things that are important to me in life. <laughs> um, uh, I want to talk about Nino Cooney. You've oh. played the original Nino? I still Ni no haven't. Kuni? No,
0: I've owned a copy for like five years and still never, never even booted it up.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know kuni is a good one because it, it, it's um you know as i mentioned when we started this discussion um part of what i love about a monster collecting game with tons of different monsters is the aesthetic right like yeah they're much it's it's a way to engage with character design in a huge way, just to see the different designs and the different styles of the different creatures. So Nino Kuni was great because um what Nino Kuni is famous for is the design elements from the Studio Ghibli style. Yeah. Um so to have a game where you have all these adorable, like whimsical monsters who are designed in this fairy tale studio Ghibli style very unique. Yeah. Um and holy shit! I just realized I didn't even talk about uh, Jade Cocoon at all. Oh yeah, I wondered if you're going to bring
0: that up. Yeah,
1: because I don't have a lot of experience with Jade Cocoon. I never owned or played. The I games. don't either.
0: I only ever played the demo for it.
1: But there's what? There's at least three of those. Yeah. I think. And they were actually they had some design input from Studio Ghibli as well. Mm. So, so uh, or at least the artists that was res- one of the artists that worked for Ghibli. So, like, the character, if you look up the character designs in, um, the Jade Cocoon games, they look like Ghibli characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot all about those games. They were also Pokemon-style games, uh, originally on the PS1 and later on the PS2. Yes, yes. Huh. See, I see, the more I think about it, the more I, the more I realize that these kind of games that were out there, uh... Anyway, so uh, b- back to Nino Kuni. Another thing that was really cool about Nino Kuni was much like the Raido Kuzunoha SMT games I mentioned earlier. It, uh, the battle system in the original Nino Kuni had a very hectic, like, action feel to it where your monsters were running around and being controlled by AI. Yeah. Um, w- which was really neat. I, um, whenever these games kind of step away from a, a stodgy turn-based, um, mechanics system it's a really fun way of kind of engaging with the monsters in a new way because i like to see them running around actively and doing their thing yeah it's really cute cute and fun um so when i had started thinking about nino Kuni, um kind of i thought about how it had almost a tales of series kind of feel to it then that then i threaded that needle straight into uh tales of symphonia dawn of a new world okay which was the Tails Pokemon game. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> right. So so Tales of Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of the New World was a um was a Tails spin-off from Symphonia, which was the one on the GameCube that everyone liked a lot. Yeah. Um but this was on the Wii, and then it was a, a, eventually ported to the modern consoles as part of the HD remaster pack with the original Tales of Symphonia. Oh, okay. A lot of people a lot of people took a dump on this game because it was a just like a spinoff and it didn't it didn't have like as interesting characters or as good a narrative but what it did have was 200 plus monsters to collect <laughs> with, with evolutionary scales um ev- evolutionary like uh pathways that you could train them and it and you could take four of them up to four in battle at a time yeah um and it was cool to see how it took the monster collecting mechanics and fuse them with traditional tales of mechanics in interesting ways so like one of the things i always love about the tales games is this uh focus on food that right. the tales games always have like you yeah. can collect ingredients and cook right and then the food you eat um affects your abilities in battle your stats your stat gains so you can feed your monsters you're cooking in dawn of the new world yeah and that affects them in the same way it does your other party members. So I thought that was really cool. And I'm and I, willing to bet not a lot of people realized that there was a Tales of game with monster collecting.
0: Mm. No, I had no idea about that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really cool one to think about. That kind of brings me to a conclusion of some of the older stuff I wanted to talk about. Okay. Um, I wanted to give a shout out too to Ciruleum, the Ciruleum series. I know I had mentioned it in a previous podcast when I was enjoying Ciruleum two a while ago. Yes, um, but Ciruleum is a really interesting indie game series by uh, Thylacine Games is the name of the developer, and it is, is at this point three games strong. And there's actually three Ciruleum titles. Mm. Um, Ciruleum started on mobile, uh, and then it made its way to kind of the Vita, and then now like the PS4. Um, Essentially what Serulem does is it combines a very old school turn-based RPG experience kind of like what Dragon Quest has going on but then layers on top of that procedural generation elements so yeah. the the actual dungeons you go into they shuffle every time. Yeah. Um it's not roguelike because you don't lose stuff when you die, you know, it's it's not punishing but it is kind of ever-changing and different in the sense that it's procedurally generated yeah and in the and in the final layer on top of this delicious cake is the disgaea feeling of just infinite gameplay Mm -hmm. because there is a ton of monsters um monsters actually in Cyrillium get treated like regular party members in the sense that you can equip uh weapons and armor to them okay cool so it's, it's not just, they're just not just the monster. You can equip them with weapons and armor. The weapons and armor also level up from use. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you're, you're just, Layers. you're just, it's just a, yeah, it's just a constant stream of like increasing power, experimenting with movesets, weapons, equipment, and monsters, fusions. Um, I, I think the level cap is insane too. I think it goes past 99. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So it's just a really good like. I hate to use the word the term time waster to describe a game because it's so pejorative. But mm-hmm. like, if you want a game, you can just play like ad infinitum. It's like Seraleum is really good for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Like, I remember looking into it when he first uh, talked about it and said, "Yes, yes, that looks like a game that you can spend a long time with." Yeah, potentially yeah. limitless. I didn't play
1: one. I have two. Um, I also, I didn't jump on three because I felt that two was so much game already that I didn't need another one, which is crazy. But, um, yeah, I barely scratched the surface of two, so I didn't feel the need to spend the money on three. Uh, But, yeah, this is a really cool series. And if you're really into exploring indie RPGs specifically, I strongly recommend people give it a try. I had a lot of fun with it. Mm. Um, I also just wanted to give a shout out to Monster Hunter Stories. Yep. Um, which I feel like everyone already has forgotten existed. Um, <laughs> uh, I love Monster Hunter, uh, and specifically because I love the monsters and the, um, the tremendous amount of design and personality that goes into creating the monsters. So when it was announced that there was going to be a cutesy spinoff that would allow me to befriend the monsters instead hmm. of murder them, I was really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Monster Hunter Stories is a ton of fun. Really? I mean, it is very specifically a game for children. Like the, the, the combat is excessively simple. It's based off a rock, paper, scissors mechanic. Like there was an animated series. Like this isn't a game for like super hardcore people, but just, just the fact that there is a monster hunter game where you can be friends with the monsters is Mm -hmm. is really cute to me. And you have your little, little, your little ranch with hay, with stacks of hay and you're hatching eggs and it's fun. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, I did want to ask you about Knights of Azure because yes, so I know just... you're a big Gust fan. Yeah. And I know this is in that in that range.
0: Yeah, it was just it was just going to say this is probably a good time to bring up Knights of Azure because um, yeah, this has definitely got a lot of what you're talking about in this. So, Knights of Azure, um, for those who aren't familiar, this is an action RPG. It's very sort of. Um, um, I don't know if horror is quite the right word for it, but it's certainly very gothic. So it makes use of sort of uh, a very similar sort of soundtrack to Michiru Yamane-era Castlevania, so lots of electric guitars and pipe organs and that sort of thing. Um, But sort of the main sort of mechanical twist on the usual action RPG formula is that as well as controlling your main character you bring in uh, four monsters into combat with you. The, your four monsters are called Servants. Uh, so these uh, take on a pretty wide variety of different forms. So there's demons, there's fairies, there's puppets, there's uh, sort of uh, animated toys and that sort of thing. So um, a big part of Knights of Israel's progression and gameplay is um, putting together what it calls a uh, a good deck of these Servants and taking them into combat with you because you can't change your party once you're out Doing action RPG stuff in Knights of Azure. It's it's a game where you have a home base, which is where you do all your sort of character management and progression and stuff, and then you go out out into the world for sort of up to twenty minutes at a time, and you do stuff out there, and then you come back and you get the results from all that and, and level up and progress and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, Knights of Azure is very interesting because you don't have you don't have direct control over these monsters, but you do have. A sort of limited amount of control over them so each of these servants they they do something specific when you summon them for the first time and they also have an ability that you can tell them to use as long as they've got um skill points remaining so uh, other than that they will act according to um sort of the the ai command that you've given them so you can give them a rampage command which means that they could they just attack whatever's closest to them Um, you can uh, tell them to um, do teamwork uh, which means that they attack whatever you're attacking or you can tell them to follow you which means they just ignore everything and just remain in formation Um, so the the interesting thing about them is that rather than just being sort of various different types of damage they they are very much split into sort of almost like the, the sort of holy trinity of characters. So you've got servants that are obviously tanks, you've got servants that are obviously damage dealers, and you've got servants that are clearly healers. Uh, all of them can deal damage to a certain extent, so there's no, there's none that are sort of exclusively healers or exclusively tanks or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it, it really pays to uh, make use of them in a way that sort of complements your own play style. And very often, um, like you were talking about in um as your dreams there are situations where our is too fragile our is the protagonist our is too fragile to uh sort of wade into combat and where it's actually a better idea to just hang back tell all your servants to attack and then sort of jump in there once once they've sort of weakened the enemy a bit so there's a, sort of almost almost a slight sort of real-time strategy feel to it a very very lightweight real-time strategy obviously because you're just dealing with sort of very small groups of enemies and small groups of, of units that are under your control. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting uh, kind of interlocking mechanics in that as well, because um, sort of the, the combination of servants that you choose to put in your, in your deck also has an impact on Arnis um, as well in several ways. So you can give each of the servants uh, an item of equipment, Uh, which will provide them with some sort of passive bonus which passes onto Arnice. So this could be anything from like an increase to attack to adding hit point regeneration or skill point regeneration, uh, all that sort of thing. Um, And they also have an affinity with one of the particular demons that Arnice is able to transform into. And sort of the sum of the different types of affinity that you have in your deck determines which demon that Arnese will transform into when you charge up enough energy and hit the transform button. And so developing a deck that you want to take into combat with you is not just a case of taking the monsters you like. It's also balancing out this affinity so you can take the transformation that you want to use and also using a decent combination of, um, of passive skills that will that will help you to get through the challenges ahead of you. Um, the actual collection aspect of uh, Knights of the is, is is quite different from other monster collecting games in that you're not sort of going out and collecting these enemies from in the world. What happens is you find various items called, um, called fetishes throughout the world, and you take them back to... Um, your home base and you perform a ritual with them which allows you to then summon the thing that is represented by the fetish um and you then sort of develop a um a sort of collection of them over time and you can level them up um and and that sort of thing so yeah it's it's a really interesting system that sort of really set that game apart from just a straightforward hack and slash rpg um, because there were so many different possibilities and so many different combinations of monsters that you could put into your party, um, and there was also a really satisfying element of discovery in that. Because as they all leveled up, they all change in appearance as well, which is really cool. Um, I like that. So, for example, there's there's like one uh, one of them is like a, a little sort of clockwork toy soldier, and as they level up, they sort of uh, sort of more of their wooden parts get replaced with sort of like precious metals and gems and that sort of thing so by the time they reach their level cap they're sort of made of gold and they've got precious stones in their hat and that sort of thing and like there's there's fairies and their their costumes get more and more elaborate as you go through and that sort of thing so there's a really nice sense of um a sort of incentive to to experiment with the different types just to see how they look when um yeah when you level them to various degrees and uh you can also chat with them in your home base as well so that so the monsters that you collected they're sort of a random collection of them just sort of standing around in this hotel lobby that's your home base so there's this mm. there's this wonderfully bizarre sight of sort of like you come back home to a hotel and there's a giant hairy spider standing just inside the entrance and you can just wander over to it and have a quick chat with it and <laughs> that sort of thing and it's just charming um, but yeah, really, really cool game, and that side of things just, like I say, really, really set that game apart from being just, uh, just another hack and slash.
1: Yeah, I really, I really have to give that series proper due. Mm. I, I haven't, I haven't really explored it. I, you know, I have a bit of a, a bit of a distaste for games with like time-controlled elements. So I, I yeah, I, I kind of it didn't really sit well with me the first time I played it. But I just yeah. find the aesthetic of it so pleasing. Oh, it's and it's the com- and game. the. And the combat's so fun. Like, yeah, I've really got to check it out again.
0: Yeah, it, it's worth noting that at no point in my playthrough did that time limit ever become an issue. So it's it's yeah. just it's just there, and it's just to stop you from uh, like grinding too much, I guess. Um, mm. With the structure of it, it's kind of difficult to grind anyway. So it, it just doesn't really become an issue. It's 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 just something that's there. It's it's nowhere near as as prominent as it is in something like say the Atelier series or something like that. Sure. Yeah, I still cool. need to. I still need to play the second one of those at some point as well. Very curious about that. I haven't touched that at all yet, but uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, need to I never that. really heard anything about it. <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I didn't hear anything bad about it either. So, so I, I, I don't think it was like bad or anything like that. I think it was just like it just sort of passed people by. I think so, which is one of the reasons I'm keen to explore it. So,
1: I don't even know if that one has the monsters or not.
0: I think it does, um, but because I like, know that
1: one has like party members. I know that one has like other. Ki- Characters. there's
0: three different characters i'm not sure they work as party members i think they're like three separate playable characters and then i think oh. like at least one of them might have the ability to use the monsters i think like i say, I, okay. I haven't played it or even read up much on it so uh, but that's the impression i've got from the the little knowledge i do have of it so but uh yeah I'll, I'll definitely report more back on that more when i've uh actually given it a go for myself yeah i'm looking forward to it all right, good stuff. All right, we've been going for nearly an hour. Is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap up?
1: No, I think that's kind of a good broad picture. Um, yeah. you know, we've covered some famous stuff. We've covered a little bit of history. We've talked about a few obscure titles. Mm-hmm. And I'm, comf- I'm comfortable with the, with the journey
0: we've gone on. <laughs> cool. And we've also highlighted some series that we might want to return to and do more specific episodes on as well. So yes. like po- Pokemon, definitely one. Mega one. Um, I mean, not related, but Saga we mentioned earlier. Um, yeah and i'm sure there's stuff to talk about with like digimon and yokai watch as well i have zero experience with either of those at the minute so i'd um, love
1: to do a broad overview level five episode just talking about kind of like their ps2 era and their more heavily marketable era that they're in now and just kind of their contributions
0: yeah sounds good to me all right let's wrap up there for today then so as always would you like to tell people where to find you online
1: absolutely you can reach me at mrgilderpixels.com. i'm also available on twitter and instagram uh screen name mr mm-hmm.
0: and you can find me on mario writing most days of the week and you can find me on youtube which is where you may be watching this podcast right now if you're not go to youtube.com slash uh what is it e j p e j a y p i e double r e That is an old username that I've had for about 10 years now and you can't change it easily on YouTube so I'm stuck with it. Um, Anyway um, yeah if you're listening on SoundCloud be sure to check it out on YouTube. If you want an audio only version of this podcast you can subscribe on soundcloud.com slash and I think that's about everything. So as always thank you very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games new and old every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.